with excitement. Hello there, fellow geeks and geek-tastic listeners. We're Mary and Missy, and today we've got something really special for you. Enthusiastically, you guessed it. Today we're diving into the world of classic TV show that's captured the hearts of generations. Mrs. Davis. All your base are belong to us. Uh, hello, and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do best, better, better, better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, uh, and Mary generated that intro with ChatGPT. I'm Mary, I'm a digital marketer, and there's even more greatness from it. Yeah, it's, it's it really uh, got it. It's bad. Uh, so the reason that we generated an intro with uh, AI is that AI... I hope you can hear my scare. AI. AI. I hope you can hear my scare quotes. Um, is that today we're talking about Mrs. Davis. This is a commission from one of our listeners. It was a good choice. Yeah, great. It was just a good choice. Really great choice. I immediately was like, Missy was like, it might take you a couple episodes. And it was like the first shot. I'm in. It took me a couple episodes. It's a hundred percent me though. Yeah, like, for sure. It was, for like, sure. Me for me. So just a little housekeeping. A, sorry it took so long to get this episode out. <laughs> Life happened. Let me just give you a brief rundown of my last three weeks. Uh, I was in Japan. I got COVID. I got a bladder infection. I had to house- hospitalize my cat. For like I had, four days. For four days. I had to bring my other cat to the vet. My dog ate an antidepressant, maybe. <laughs> um, we had packs. We had packs. Something else happened. Uh, you were really tired. I know that sounds like... <laughs> um, we were going to record last weekend, and I hurt myself squatting over the tub washing my extremely ill cat and you were just tired and i hobbled downstairs and mary took one look at me and, and said like, no we're not doing this we don't have to this is not like no one's gonna be upset <laughs> so so that's why there hasn't been an episode in a while um <laughs> yeah, i remember now you're just like a like a like an old witch <laughs> yeah i really pulled muscles in my legs uh, uh. <laughs> but cool news <laughs> We're, we're going to be back at Geek Girl Con on the live Let's Play Yay. stage. Uh, if you're going to be in the Seattle area, come by Geek Girl Con uh, October 7th from 12.15 to 1 p.m. We're going to be playing Mask of the Rose, which is the new visual novel entry into the world of Fallen London. Long, 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 long time listeners may remember I interviewed uh, Hannah Flynn of Fail Better a thousand years ago um, about fall in london uh on this very podcast um, we originally wanted to do um love islands with the sims but we couldn't make it work but yeah just know. if we can find a way to just like stream that regularly we can because yeah. it was pretty funny it was amazing but uh actually. it wasn't gonna work in a 45 minute window yeah. um anyway so yeah catch us at uh, catch me outside. Catch me outside. No, it's cash. Sorry, cash me outside at Geek Girl Con. <laughs> but we'll be inside. We'll be inside. Uh, October seventh, twelve fifteen to one p.m. Um, we'll be on the Let's Play stage, so come watch us. But for now, we're going to talk about Mrs. Davis, the classic eighties, the TV classic eighties show. 80s show. Uh, so I think in order to properly summarize this show, I need to have watched it six times and have taken detailed notes, which I did not do. There's a lot. It's yeah, it's very complicated. I I don't fully understand what's going on all of the time. And that actually ends up being part of the show's charm to me. 
Uh, I actually wrote a summary for it and I didn't even finish and it was a page and a half long and I was like, hey, fuck this and I deleted it. Um, so I'm just going to give you the briefest overall summary instead, which is that Mrs. Davis is a comedy drama sci-fi series created by Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. It's set in an alternate 2023 in which an AI quote-unquote. Name Mrs. Davis has been almost universally accepted by all. Imagine some kind of hybrid of Siri and Samantha from her in that she's omnipresent and all-knowing, but also has this like distinct personality for people to interact with. Um, she seems to have everybody's best interest at heart, and people unquestioningly interact with her constantly. Uh, Simone, the main protagonist and also a nun, disagrees with that and blames the algorithm for her father's death. She ends up on a quest for the on behalf of the algorithm to find the holy grail in exchange for mrs davis turning herself off it's the bare minimum and th- that is truly that's the first episode and she's in love with jesus and she's in love with Je- we didn't get that in the intro yeah. like or in the yeah in the summary um so it's a, it's a lot uh, the show is about a lot of things some of which i cannot cover in the episode because it's 21 pages long the outline um so if you want to support us on patreon now would be a great time remember how i said that my fucking cat had to be hospitalized for four days if you want to throw money at us now's a really good time to do so anyway um if you do support us at the five dollar level you get to see our outlines which includes everything we cut and there was a lot cut from this one you can also get on our discord and have discussions yeah we're also happy to chat on discord yeah um so let's talk about ai and technology um I have a lot of mixed feelings. We'll get into that. But I thought it was very funny that Mary, when I came up, well, Mary, <laughs> this is, this doesn't matter. Mary, anyway, showed me today. She's like, let me read this to you. And she had, she like write an episode script for fake geek girls about Mrs. Davis. And that's how we had that, this, uh, this intro, which sucks, right? It sucks. It's terrible. It's not correct in any it's way. It's not correct in any way. It's, it's bad. Um, that's for a different podcast. It has no idea who we are, of course. ChatGPT doesn't give a fuck about us. But we'll get it. We'll touch on this later. It really is a distillation, right, of every um, every podcast. It's it's a yeah. It, when it when it in the show, it talks about like uh, it uses AI loves cliches. Mm-hmm. It's because it's pulling from everything. We were actually talking last night about. Uh, Ted Chang referring to ChatGPT and AI as a blurry JPEG of the internet. It's so accurate. It's so accurate. That's exactly what that intro was. It's a blurry JPEG of podcast of a podcast called Fake Geek Girls, right? If if it was if I would have added on YouTube, it would have, it would have added smash that smash that sub- like button, yeah, or smash that or subscribe, yeah, like so, like comment and subscribe. So let's talk about AI and technology more broadly. Um. Mrs. Davis wears its themes right on its sleeve as, as shows go, right? In being a show about a nun, a religious figure, uh, opposing an omnipresent, omniscient AI, it's clearly asking questions about things like faith, knowledge, technology, and humanity. Like, it, just right off the bat, those things are pretty clear. Um, so we're going to tackle AI and technology first, since that's a fresh, hot topic we all no <laughs> doubt have feelings about. Uh, I don't think I've made any secret on this podcast that I am concerned about our relationship with technology to a degree that some people might find technophobic. I think I may come off as a bit of a technophobe. Knowing it's so interesting because, you know, obviously knowing you for so long, I, I look back and I, I see the foreshadowing. <laughs> what is it? I want to know. Our classes that we took on sci-fi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought about that a lot, actually, I watching Mrs. Davis. I did, too. And uh, I th- just the absolute 
acceptance. Yeah. So for context, we read in college, Mary and I took a sci-fi class together and we read Rainbow's End by Werner Vinge. And if you're not familiar, you don't need to know the plot of the book. It doesn't matter. Werner Vinge is actually one of the people that coined the idea of the singularity, which is the point at which um, technology advances so far beyond like our capacity that like the that essentially life is no longer recognizable right L- life has changed forever because of the advancement of technology um anyway in rainbow's end there's a point where the they are shredding books to digitize them and we were talking in our sci-fi class about whether or not that was a good idea and i said i didn't believe it was a good idea because why would it be and and i was like i'm uncomfortable with the idea that one company has the ability to digitize all the books. Like that makes me really uncomfortable. And I got called um, paranoid mm-hmm. and a conspiracy we theorist. We weren't popular in that class. We were not popular. We were in not this popular. Class. And but you know what? Looking back, we were right. Yeah. And I guarantee you, eighty percent of the people in that class would pr- are probably spouting the shit we said. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. so positive on it. Yeah. Um. So I thought I thought a lot about Rainbow's End uh, as we were as I was working on this outline, which this is not about Rainbow's End. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I talk a lot about being concerned about our relationship with technology and with social media, not in a way that I I would not describe myself as technophobic. Um, but I think I might come off that way. Healthy skeptic. Uh, because I'm not actually afraid of technology itself. Um, I am definitely a techno skeptic. Uh, because the issue, as with most things, is that I'm more worried about capitalism than I am about the thing itself. I'm concerned about how capitalism uses technology to manipulate us. I'm concerned about how alienation under capitalism and a highly individualistic culture drives us to social media, which uses technology to manipulate us. And I'm concerned about job loss to AI and other forms of technology without any safeguards for actual human beings, right? These are what, this is what I'm actually scared of. Which is literally like part of the reason why specifically SAG is on strike right yeah. now. Yeah. Because they, like, the, their, the, in their contract about AI was just absolute bullshit. Yeah. It was, we can, we'll pay you for a day's work and that's it. Yep. Yep. And yep. we'll use it forever and we'll mm-hmm. own it forever. Yeah. They were really like, let's just shoot for the stars on this, on this first one. Let's just yeah. try to take everything. Yeah. Um, most of these concerns that I have actually come from capitalism, not from technology itself, but also also other concerns I have, like radicalization. Um, anyway, the reason I bring this up is because I appreciated that Mrs. Davis was willing to explore multiple sides of this discussion. It certainly does seem that the use of the algorithm has ended famine and war, like, to some degree. Like, I know the resistance says it's bullshit in the show, but, like, things seem pretty peaceful you know at least in the places we see but, yeah but i think they made i think it was i think they made it pretty clear that these things still happen you just don't think they do and later on it's because you find out because this fucking lies to you yeah um but obviously notably it doesn't end violence or exploitation like if violence or exploitation were ended why do the magician scams exist if everybody's needs are taken care of, right? Why that's, are there poor people? Yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole, but you get the point, right? Like, the idea that, like, if we ended these things, then why are there still enough magician scams to keep Simone busy? Because capitalism still exists. We it, need those things. Right. <laughs> capitalism literally needs those things to survive. Yeah. Um, so like, it seems like maybe the algorithm has taken care of these big issues, but at what cost does the end of famine and war and similar things mean happiness? 
Um, so I generally don't like to bring in the words of the actual creators because who gives a fuck what they think of their own work? I'm kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but not really. But not really. <laughs> you are, you are queen of, <laughs> I don't care what they said about their own work. Uh, the thing, the thing with death of the author, there's a lot of things with death of the author, but like one of them is like, just because the author wrote the work doesn't mean that they are in fact the only person who gets to say what it's about. Um, but anyway mrs davis is a really rich text if we look at what the creators were aiming for we can try to figure out whether they were successful at achieving those goals so in an interview called how mrs davis creators used ai in the writing room which is a video from south by southwest by the hollywood reporter it's also a really bad title they talk about how they used ai in the writing room for two seconds and the way they used it was to generate episode titles that's it i have beef with that anyway (laughs) So in this video, uh, the creators, Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof, talk about how they were inspired by the feeling of knowing of knowing that there's an over-reliance on technology, like knowing that that over-reliance on technology, smartphones, algorithms, etc. is bad for you. Like two, two-year-olds on iPads, teens spending hours a day on TikTok, etc. We know these things are not good for us, right? Like, like not even just like on like moral or anything, like scientifically. Yeah, like they're not. It's not good for us. <laughs> it's detrimental to your like motor skills and thinking yeah. skills, and yeah, for sure. But we enjoy it anyway, and we do it anyway, right? Like yeah. you've heard me grouse about social media and my phone and all this kind of stuff, but I don't stop using them, right? Um, so this is a, a quote from Lindelof. He says, uh, and this is a paraphrase, but he says something like, how do we reconcile this anxiety about liking technology, but seeing the potential for devastating consequences through a more fun lens? And that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that fun lens is essential to what makes Mrs. Davis work. Um, I know people like Black Mirror and I haven't actually watched Black Mirror. I have. But there are also plenty of people who find Black Mirror to be really preachy and irritating. I have watched some of Black Mirror and I find it to be depressing. Mm. Um, when you approach a serious topic like this through absurdity and humor, as Mrs. Davis does, it's easier to swallow. Like all those political cartoons about people staring into their phones like or like looking at Instagram when in beautiful natural settings, right? Those are really irritating. Nobody likes those. Yeah. Most people like them and they're old and on Facebook. But like people don't most people don't like that it's not going to change anybody's behavior um but when people point out the absurdity of such a thing it's easier to engage with the argument because it doesn't feel holier than thou like the fact that hernandez and lindelof are coming at this from the perspective of people who use their phones who are like guilty of these same things they understand the issue better than if they were like i never use a phone and look at me it's just like uh criticizing capitalism while i still go to disneyland yeah it's where like you still have to live in the world right and still enjoy things yeah ai seems like a feasible answer to a lot of concerns we have about the world like ai can in theory please in theory should be in bold letters in your mind ai can in theory think objectively without self-interest ai can solve problems faster than we can it can run simulations to find optimal outcomes and paths to success but it's important to remember that AI, however sophisticated it might be, is still built on human thinking. Mm-hmm. That's why you have algorithms that fail to detect black skin or algorithms that reject job applications from minority applicants because the algorithm was developed on existing data, uh, which could be racist, sexist, homophobic, etc. Humans develop these programs and humans are informed by their biases. And so those biases seep into AI programs, right? It's impossible not to when it's man-made. Exactly. 
So AI and technology can also allow us to distance ourselves from things that we should actually be close to. A good example of this is something like drone warfare, which allows the military to attack at a distance without having any humans on board. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, like, yeah, we're risking fellow soldiers' lives so we can kill more people. Yeah. And bomb more tar. Like, okay. Uh, it's like, in some senses, it makes warfare easier, which, like, I don't know, guys. I just don't think we should make warfare easier. Surprise, surprise. Call me crazy. I just don't think that that should be our goal. Um, just to be clear, there are a lot of other issues in warfare that are also bad, such as the intentional dehumanization of soldiers. Uh, but we're talking specifically about technology and how its supposed objectivity and distance can remove us from responsibility. Like, it's kind of like, I don't want to get too deep into it. Never mind. It's just a rough subject. And, and it makes me really uncomfortable to be like, well, it's easier for the soldiers to kill people. Like, yeah, it sure is, isn't it? And it's also, well, it's also, it's extremely easy to spin that to be patriotic of, like, we're saving our people's lives. Right. And protecting. Yeah. In quotes, protecting the country. Yeah. Um, and also investing in technology, the future uh-huh. technology. It's, it's super easy it makes me to wanna spin. Take a sh- it makes me want to take a hundred hot showers. Like, just <laughs> like, like, say shit. No, 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 no. It feels so bad to talk about. It's so, such an easy thing to spin. Yeah. Um, and like, especially now I feel like, uh, my husband plays a lot of rainbow and one of the things you can have is like drone attacks. Right. And so it becomes like this cool thing and like, it, it, it's, it is insidious. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Uh, and that's an extreme example, right? AI or simulated AI, AI, such as chatbots and large language models like ChatGPT. I'm not going to get into this, but you can look it up yourselves. Um, you know, AI like this is already part of our lives and it's growing more and more each day. We are still, I think, a long ways from the ubiquitousness of AI, the way that we see in Mrs. Davis, but we are interacting more with AI every day. And it's important to ask now, not later, what we want that relationship to look like. So this is a quote from experts doubt ethical AI design will be broadly adopted as the norm within the next decade, which is a a collection of research by Lee Rainey, Jana Anderson, and Emily A. Vogels. Um, And this is a quote from that article by Barry Chudakov, um, who says, Our ethical book is half-written. While we would not suggest our existing ethical frameworks have no value, there are pages and chapters missing. Further, while we have a host of regulatory injunctions, we consider our devices so much part of our bodies that we use them without a moment's thought for their effects upon the user. We accept the algorithms that enhance our searches and follow us around the internet and suggest another brand of facial moisturizer as a new wrinkle on a convenience and rarely give it a second thought. We do not acknowledge that our technologies change us as we use them, that our thinking and behaviors are altered by the cyber effect, that devices and gadgets don't just turn us into gadget junkies. They may abridge our humanity, compassion, empathy, and social fabric. As Greg Brockman, co-founder of OpenAI, remarked, now is the time to ask questions. Think about the kinds of thoughts you wish people had inventing fire, starting the industrial revolution or developing atomic power. So what makes shows like Mrs. Davis so valuable aside from its entertainment value? Like it's very entertaining. That's enough of that conversation. What makes a show like it valuable is that it does prompt us to ask these questions. Every day we make ethical choices in the name of convenience, right? Choices Mm -hmm. that can make us feel judgy about one another. For example, I refuse to use things like Alexa or Google Home or whatever the fuck (laughs) it's called. I don't know. Uh, I don't use those things in my house because I feel like opting. I, I feel 
I don't feel good about opting in to having a corporate listening device in my home, right? Like, I don't feel good about that. But on the other hand, I used to have a ring doorbell. I don't anymore. I wouldn't purchase a ring doorbell today. But I did in the past. So, like... I have a... I, we have a Alexa TV cube. And I'm sorry. The, the, the convenience of not having to do anything that Alexa... Turn the TV on. Right. Especially because, like, I've been falling asleep <laughs> sleep to drag race. And so, so I'll fall asleep and, like, be half awake and I'll just, Alexa, turn the TV off. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody has a different threshold. And it's really easy to get judgy about those thresholds. I will say we used to have, a like, a standalone Alexa and it started playing weird music randomly. And so we turned that shit off and uh, <laughs> threw it in the closet. Possessed. Yeah. Um, but you can also do things like Alexa, play me cat noises, and it'll just play you cats meowing. Oh my god, dogs barking. <laughs> um, so th- like that's a contradiction I had, right? Like I felt comfortable with a ring doorbell, but not with uh Alexa or whatever. I can see why though. One's facing outwards and like collecting even other so, data. yeah, it's collecting <laughs> other people's. It's fine if it's other people's data. Um, so when we look at something like Mrs. Davis. You know, and I and we think we in this case being I. Oh, I'd never participate in something like that. Oh, I one hundred percent. We have I watch it. I'm like, yeah, I'd be that. <laughs> we have to ask if that's true, right? Like, if everybody else is, and everybody is telling me how great Mrs. Davis is, and it's super safe or whatever, can I really say for sure that I wouldn't? If it would, if it would prove to be like at like good at its job like my dad uses siri for everything he chastises me for not using siri i'll look up like directions of why don't you just ask siri <laughs> and like i have to have this like long conversation that he doesn't care about of like just because siri tells you the first thing that pops up on google does not mean that's the answer yeah yeah and like I, uh, <laughs> so it has to prove that it's actually you know yeah it has some media literacy i guess yeah but AI has been around for a lot longer than we've been talking about it. Yeah. So. Um, like, you know, what if AI, what if Mrs. Davis, we'll use a specific example of Mrs. Davis, what if it really can solve major world problems? Like, at what point am I willing to make this trade for my personal comfort with AI and corporate listening devices? And, you know, world peace. At what point am I willing to break my my barrier for for world peace or whatever you know and that's i that's a hard that's hard because because i'm never gonna trust it you know and like what's its motivation for world peace and is it even telling us that there's world peace like where right like i have too many questions but i don't know if you push me hard enough if it becomes normal enough maybe i would change my mind i don't know i use a cell phone right like mm-hmm. i i use a smartphone and i have like location data turned on so i can see where i went on my vacations right like that's a stupid thing to do but i have it for my own fucking convenience right i've shown locations when i go on trips but for my family i i don't know if you use this feature it shows me where i was like a year ago oh i did not have that yeah it's it's called like timeline or something Um, so when i'm working on my travel journal i can see all the places i walked in a day 
I need to turn it off, but <laughs> but it's yeah. so convenient. But that's that's a really good example of something that so many people use and don't think twice about mm-hmm. it. Like my family uses it, and again, chastises me for not using it. Same with my cousin; they chastise us for not use putting our locations on so they can see us where like whenever we are. And Why I'm, do you need to know? I asked my dad this. Are you ready for this answer? Hmm. What if I want to call you, but I see you're not at home, so I won't call you because you're not at home. You're doing something. <laughs> what? Just okay. First of all, just because I'm not at home doesn't mean I can't take a call, and just because I'm at home doesn't mean I can take a call. I took a call in the woods today. Yeah, I just like it's just weird, and like I try to be like anyone can like lock onto my location, and my dad goes from no to well, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it does matter. Yeah. But, like, if we're going, like, when we went to Pride, yeah. I turned on locations because that's a busy area if we need to find someone. Mm-hmm. But still, it's not, like, super accurate. Right. So, like, at w- this, this show prompts me to ask questions like, what would I do? How do I feel about this? At what point would I be willing to make this trade? Um, I would like to say never, right? But I can't be sure. But the fact, the show pushes me to ask that question regardless. Um, I just looked. My mom's at home. <laughs> this may not be a question that's relevant right now, but it but it will be eventually, right? Absolutely. Um, Chudakov encourages us to ask these questions now because if we ask them once Pandora's box is opened, we'll always be playing catch up. Um, so what do we want from AI, right? What safeguard should be in place? What is the best role for AI? And I can't answer all of these questions myself, but I know some things that I feel strongly about, right? You know who shouldn't be making those decisions? Old people in the yeah. Senate. Yeah. I'm personally of the opinion that AI should be an assistant to us, not aim to replace us. There should be laws and, and or regulations in place that prevent replacing human employees with AI. Can't wait for the spin of keeping jobs in America because the AI is uh, based in somewhere in America. Yeah. Like, if replacement is to take place, then we basically need to have overthrown capitalism or we're just forcing poverty onto people, right? Um, It's a big issue. I'm not opposed to AI on a fundamental level, but I feel very strongly that it should play an assistant role at most, unless we all have UBI and housing and universal healthcare and so on. What is UBI? Universal basic income. Oh, okay. Um, Nobody should be forced to struggle to live because of AI. Yeah. Uh, in Mrs. Davis, we primarily see AI through Simone's eyes or the eyes of Wiley and the resistance. We do not get a full sense of what it's like to be the average person in this world, nor how the algorithm has eradicated famine and war, etc. Um, we don't really know what daily life looks like, but it's interesting because instead of just being AI, AI is integrated with humanity. Like AI is not necessarily a distinct entity. It's more like every person is both human and AI, right? Like, because there's so much of what they do is influenced mm-hmm. by Mrs. Davis. Almost everybody you interact with in this world is in communication with Mrs. Davis at that moment. Mm-hmm. So what do we make of that, right? Like, what do we do with that information? Uh, this is a quote from the Wikipedia entry for the moral responsibility of artificial systems. Um, Joseph Weizenbaum argued in 1976 that AI technology should not be used to replace people in positions that require respect and care, such as a customer service representative. AI technology is already used today for telephone-based interactive voice response systems mm-hmm. uh, as nursemaids for the elderly, as was reported by Pamela McCorduck in her book, The Fifth Generation, replacements for soldiers, judges, a police officer, a therapist, as was pro- mm-hmm. proposed by Kenneth Colby in the 70s. 
Um, Weizenbaum explains that we require authentic feelings of empathy from people in these positions. If machines replace them, we will find ourselves alienated, devalued, and frustrated for the artificially intelligent system would not be able to simulate empathy. Uh, artificial intelligence, if used in this way, represents a threat to human dignity. Weizenbaum argues that the fact that we are entertaining the possibility of machines in these positions suggests that we have experienced a, quote, atrophy of the human spirit that comes from thinking of ourselves as computers. Um, I find this really interesting. I largely agree, assuming that all my other issues issues with automation and AI are taken care of. Right? And that's a big assumption. But yeah. let's let's assume we've overthrown capitalism before we even get into this topic um because of how it both does and doesn't apply mrs davis right they have access to tons of knowledge and accurate knowledge in a way that human beings really don't but if the if the ai believes they don't want to hear accuracy they'll lie so it's like this when when that was revealed it was just this like oh <laughs> yeah oh that's that's dangerous in yeah. so many ways mm-hmm. could you imagine how bad conspiracy theories right like how bad that would be oh mrs davis told me trump won the election yeah could you that she would never that's the scariest thing right imagine if if the majority of a country felt something was that was not true was true and how that would affect everything uh cambridge analytica did that didn't they there's a really good documentary on netflix uh they took data and used analytics and ai to influence people not this is not in america they did it in america too but like specifically in other countries um to vote a certain way Mm -hmm. that's dangerous Mm -hmm. and it's really easy because we are such an individualistic society like like America specifically to say, and I've, I have been guilty of this in the past. Well, it's just like, who cares? I don't care what they know about me, mm-hmm. but like you're one person in a very large collective. And I think it's easy to forget that. Yeah. Cause there's like, I see this, I see that sentiment more and more like, Oh, um, they want to collect all my data about the weird ass books I read or something like that. Have fun. And it's like, that's not good. Yeah. It's not good. If you don't, if you do believe that it's fine, it doesn't matter. I would, I'd urge you to go watch the, the Netflix documentary. Cause it, it, it threw me right out of that belief. Yeah. It threw me right the fuck out. Yeah. And Google does know about all the restaurants I go to for my own convenience. <laughs> for no reason I do this. Um, so, you know, in theory, Mrs. Davis has access to knowledge and accurate knowledge in a way that human beings really don't. So, like, if we're thinking about, like, an AI doctor or whatever, right? Like, an AI is not going to misremember how to diagnose a disease, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be able to objectively evaluate symptoms um, and perhaps treat a, tra- treat a patient better than a human would. but. An AI lacks empathy, right? It is hard for me, a non-programmer, to conceive of a way in which empathy and community could be programmed into an AI, even if that's what Joy claims she has done with Mrs. Davis. We'll touch more on this idea of care later. But it's hard for me to conceive of an AI that can truly empathize with me, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I I don't know that I personally could ever trust an AI 
that says like I care about you or I understand what you're going through or I understand I understand that you're in pain, right? I'm like you don't even know what pain is. Yeah. It's you don't even like, have nerves. It's it's a knee-jerk reaction so I'm like, oh, like oh, I understand what you're going through when it's like they don't haven't gone through that experience, right? You're not you're going to be like sure you fucking do. Well, at the very least a human could be capable of feeling it. That's true. Like if I'm in pain and a doctor says, "Oh, I yeah, I've had you know, I broke my leg or whatever. And the doctor's like, oh, that hurt. That must hurt really badly. Let me help you. I'm at least going to understand that the doctor understands the concept of what pain is. If an AI is like, oh, that must be really painful. I'm going to be like, what the fuck do you know about pain? You don't even have nerves. I mean, I guess um, Baymax was able to do it. <laughs> Baymax would be our real model. of Baymax is the only AI I'll accept. <laughs> so... To that end, I agree with Weizenbaum. We shouldn't replace any position that requires empathy with AI. I would argue that almost every position requires empathy, but then again, maybe the right move is to replace CEOs with AI so they can make rational decisions rather than ones that rather than ones that line their own pockets. Except if we still live in a world of capitalism, the rationality of making more money could do exactly that. Yeah, but what does an AI need money for? But it but what does AI need anything for? I'm going to program the AI to say I hate money. Well, that would, that would, but if, but if they're making a rational decision in business within the capitalistic world that we make, the goal is to make money. And, and like, yeah, but remember, we're making assumptions about a world yes, without capitalism. Absolutely. If we're, if, as long as we're not living in that capitalistic world, definitely. But I think we need But do to- CEOs exist in a world without capitalism? It's complicated, <laughs> I think. Um, it always is. But, my my personal opinion is that we should replace more CEOs with AI and fewer people who are living, who are trying to make a living. You CEOs know? don't do anything. Anyways. They don't do anything. They can be replaced with an AI that plays like ping pong all day or something. You They'd know, probably do more. Yeah, they can put an uh, AI can play a lot more ping pong than a human. Um, anyway, <laughs> but how does this get complicated when we think about AI being integrated with humans, such as it is in Mrs. Davis? So this is a Wikipedia entry, same Wikipedia entry for the moral responsibility of artificial systems. And it's a follow up to that previous bit about doctors. So Pamela McCorduck counters that speaking for women and minorities, quote, I'd rather take my chances with an impartial computer, unquote, pointing out that there are conditions where we would prefer to have automated judges and police that have no personal agenda at all. However, Kaplan and Heinlein stress that AI systems are only as smart as the data used to train them, since they are, in their essence, nothing more than fancy curve fitting machines. Using AI to support a court ruling can be highly problematic if past rulings show bias towards certain groups since those biases get formalized and ingrained, which makes them even more difficult to fight, to spot and fight against. So I also find this point really interesting, even if I don't really agree with it, largely because I don't trust AI to be free of the biases that already exist in our society. I think it's a really valid point to say, you know, speaking for women and minorities, I'd rather take my chances with an impartial computer. But that depends on if the computer is actually impartial, Yeah, (laughs) which at this point I don't think is possible. And then it gets into more even like, because then it's like, oh, well, there's nothing you can say about this because this is an impartial Because machine. I know everything. Yeah, the machine, the, like, it, it, was, it, it wasn't my, I didn't believe it, but that's what the machine told us. Right. I can't trust an impartial computer to, say, properly evaluate my pain level the way, you know, especially a male doctor can't or won't do because that, impart, quote unquote, impartial computer is likely trained on the data that those same male doctors are trained on, right? Likewise, mm-hmm. if, for example, judge and police AI are trained on data like who commits more crimes based on who's already incarcerated, they're going to arrest and convict more black people, even if they're not actually committing more crimes. Just like the 
existing justice, quote unquote, justice system. Um, If we can imagine true impartiality, which I cannot, maybe something like an AI doctor would be preferable. But I don't think so. And I this think is- it's dangerous. Like that for me, the only thing I could think of was the fact that so many medications are based off of data from men. Right. And like pulling data from There's- that isn't going to work. Yeah. We would have to have like so much research and that research simply doesn't exist. Especially since we don't fund it. Yeah, exactly. Because we live in a world of capitalism. <laughs> um but this is actually something that Lindelof brings up in the South by South- Southwest talk um, where he discusses a theoretical situation where you you are asked, like, say you go into a doctor's office, right? And you're asked if you want to be diagnosed with an illness by a human or by an AI. And you might choose human, but chances are that that human is essentially proxying an AI. They may have learned from the AI. They may be interacting with the AI while talking to you, etc., in a world like this, you are never free from AI, right? Well, uh, I guess United Healthcare just got, I don't know if they got in trouble, but they got called out for using AI to um, deny claims, like mm-hmm. 10,000 claims a day. Yeah. And that's that would have been essentially what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um And this is, you know, this idea of a human proxying to AI, with AI rather, is still preferable to me than just being diagnosed by an AI because humans do have the ability to empathize, to question, etc. They are not governed by rules that cannot be broken. I, yeah. A program is usually confined to the rules that have been built into it, right? Yeah. But you also have, like, a lot of people don't trust doctors. And I'm not talking about, like, the conspiracy theory people. Yeah. I'm talking about people who have, like, bad experiences. And I do think yes. that maybe it would, it would be nice to have, like... um almost like a default second opinion mm-hmm. which would be nice because there are some doctors like like we were talking about like male doctors just don't believe a lot of non-men mm-hmm. um and, or they just don't believe in things right like they don't believe in vaccines well most do but like even my doctor was is hesitant on a certain vaccine not the covid vaccine and she's like uh it's really treatable i wouldn't i'm not going to suggest it for a couple of years and i'm kind of like mm might still get it mm-hmm. so i i i think it's really it's a really interesting conversation and somewhere we're heading but i also am very wary of the lack of empathy yeah yeah i think that like there are legitimate reasons to be like i would like a doctor who is free of the bias of the medical industry mm-hmm. but i also think we have to be aware that any existing ai is going to have the bias of the medical industry because of how AI is yeah. programmed currently. I think we would have to be like post singularity to even have a doctor that's free of those biases. Absolutely. Um, it would have to be. Yeah, it would absolutely couldn't be controlled by anything yeah. corporate. Uh, Mrs. Davis is not necessarily proposing a clear answer to these questions, right? Nor is it coming down hard on the side of AI bad, which I actually really appreciate as a person who's, uh, who, if you just like listen to me on, on like most frequently, you're probably going to get the sense that I think AI bad. Um, well, that's one of the things I appreciate about the show is in the end, the AI just wanted to do good. Yeah. The AI, Mrs. Davis, ultimately, like, because you, I totally got the feeling where it's going to be like, no, you can't turn me off. I'm in power. Absolutely not. Yeah. Because that's not what it was made for. Yep. Um, 
because the thing for me is AI isn't inherently bad, in my opinion. The ways it can be used are bad. The way it's currently developed using stolen work is bad. But if we can imagine something outside of that, maybe it could be good. But alas, capitalism. We live in a capitalist society that is primarily interested in making money, right? We don't even have medicine that isn't made for profit. Um, so even something built to be altruistic and helpful to humanity must also be profitable. Hence, Joy and Mrs. Davis marketing her app to <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings. Which is why we had Buffalo Wild Wings. Delicious Buffalo Wild Wings right before. It is, it's pretty good, it's, but they're... Uh, they're they're too expensive for the, what they are, but they're so good. They are quite tasty. I owe Josh money, by the way. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, things aren't seen as having value in our society unless that value includes making money. Ugh. In Mrs. Davis, ongoing server costs don't seem to be an issue, likely because if what she claims is true, scarcity seems to be a thing of the past. But even if Buffalo Wild Wings didn't adopt the app, you still you have to imagine that at some point it was or at least could be used to sell things, right? Um, so this is another quote from that uh, collection of research. Experts doubt ethical AI design will be broadly adopted as the norm within the next decade, which is by Marcel Fofchamp, who says, A more pernicious development is the loss of control people will have over their immediate environment, e.g. when their home appliances will make choices for them, quote, in their interest. Mm -hmm. By construction, AI implicitly or explicitly integrates ethical principles, whether people realize it or not. This is most most easily demonstrated in the case of self-driving cars, but will apply to all self-something technology, including healthcare AI apps, for instance. A self-driving car must, at some point, decide whether to protect its occupants or to protect other people on the road. A human driver would make a choice partly based on social preferences, partly based on moral considerations, e.g. did the pedestrian have the right to be on the path of the car at that time. In the March 2018 fatality in Tempe, Florida, a human driver could have argued that the pedestrian appeared out of nowhere in order to be exonerated. Mm -hmm. The fact that AI integrates ethical principles does not mean that it integrates your preferred ethical principles. So the question is not whether it integrates ethical principles, but which echical principles it integrates. So Fafchamps introduces a couple of things here. The idea that int introducing AI will lead to that AI making decisions in what it sees to be our best interests and the gap between an AI's programmed ethical principles and our own ethical principles. So first, the idea of making choices for us in our best interests. Um, we see this in Mrs. Davis, right? Mm -hmm. Where despite the fact that people appear to have some degree of autonomy, they're also really, really willing to do whatever Mrs. Davis tells them to do. Like, without question. Mm -hmm. Like, giving a bunch of money to a random nun? No problem. What if R it's your last dollar? Right? Well, Mrs. Davis said it's important. That's what I was wondering about in mm -hmm. that scene. I was like... How many people are losing all their heads? Yeah. Uh, riding an exer exercise bike to turn a mill? Sure, <laughs> why not? Like, these things are pretty benign, assuming that Mrs. Davis is considering, like, how much money they're giving to the nun versus what they have access to. But again, famine and war are supposedly eradicated, so I don't know. Um, maybe everybody can just throw whatever money at nuns. Then what's the point of having money? Right? I don't know. I don't know. But we have no way of verifying that. Her primary goal there is to get Simone what she needs. Can that goal outweigh the needs of the users? We just don't know, mm -hmm. right? Um, is, it, is my AI appliance only going to feed me kale? Right? Yeah. I have more about that later. Uh, not about kale specifically. Missy but loves kale. I don't, actually. Missy I, despises I kale. I don't like kale. Um, and this Missy is assuming... 
<laughs> this is assuming an AI outside of like a world built on advertising, right? Advertising still exists in the world of the show, but the AI was released outside of a corporate structure. The code is open source. So Mrs. Davis is not necessarily interested in selling buffalo wings or anything else to user to users. But that's kind of a pie in the sky idea in our world, right? Like I can't imagine someone not seizing upon the open source co- code and turning it into a profitable project. But then again, I'm cynical about this kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. I think also you're more aware of it because you work in a marketing field. Yeah. And with like <laughs> algorithms. Me, me, like me and my marketing with in my marketing brain, <laughs> I could get people to buy so many books. There's some there's been a couple of times at work while where I've been like, oh, we could use this. At, like turn around and like and people like who are who are like the graphic designers are like oh i guess you could do that <laughs> and i was like well sorry i'm a marketer i'm um, for a non-profit it's fine so so if we believe that mrs davis is operating in our best interest and she recommends something to us how likely are we to question that recommendation right like if i believe if i truly believe that mrs davis wants only the best for me and she recommends me a skincare item I'm gonna buy that skincare item, right? Well, also, like, I think of it of, like, okay, currently vaccines obviously have been a hot topic for the past however many years. I'm much more likely to say, well, science said that I should do this. Yeah. I should take it. And, like, I'm the most pro-vaccine person ever, but there's, like, reasons to, like, not necessarily believe it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, But I am so bought into, well, this is what this, it's been studied. It's, it would feel like the same thing. So it almost feels like I've been in that trap already. Uh, skincare is my favorite example for this because like a relatively benign thing that we all know we spend too much money on Mm -hmm. and like on nothing like it's my favorite way that i spend money with like so little reward Um, Uh, because i'm a i'm a hardcore k-beauty devotee mary's a hardcore glossier devotee yeah and i look at mary's purchases and i go why are you spending so much money on glossier i I get what you get for cheaper but Mary trusts the brand, mm-hmm. and I trust K-Beauty. We have two different kinds of faith in two different things, which are, and we could get into the nitty-gritty on these two different things, because there, there, are, there are ways in which they're different. But I have faith in Korean beauty products in a way Mary has faith in Glossier. And, like, essentially, they're the, they're not the same thing, but they kind of are the same thing, well, right? Well, the thing is, is that K-Beauty that's sold in stores in America is the same price as, like, Glossier. And I don't buy from American I, yeah, stores. Yeah, I know. That's what's so interesting. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's, it's not necessarily, I feel like it's, well, we could get into it, but you're still not buying it from America. You're buying it from, from, mm-hmm. from places where it is still cheap. So, th- so it does make sense. Yeah. But it, it is, in a, in essence, I put my faith in the idea of Korean beauty products, and you put your faith in Glossier. So, he- so if we believe that Mrs. Davis is operating in our best interest, and she recommends something to us, how likely are we to question that recommendation, right? Like, the answer is we're probably not. If we already are on board with whatever Mrs. Davis is saying, if Mrs. Davis always steers us right, are we going to stop questioning why she asks us to do something, right? Like, if she's like, oh, go do this, and I'm already like, oh, you always give me such good advice... Like, oh, go give your money to a nun. I'm not going to be like, why? <laughs> Especially, not to get into it, but Catholicism. <laughs> right. Don't worry, they get into it in that interview. Yeah. Um, like, doesn't that give her or whoever is control of her a lot of power over us? And that's just the average person, right? Imagine state leaders, etc., with unknown forces advising them. I'm assuming a version of the world that works largely like ours ours does, which may not be relevant to Mrs. Davis, given the supposed eradication of famine and war. 
But even so, there's simply too much potential for misuse for me to feel completely comfortable with this idea. We'll talk more about ethics and care a bit later, but it's good to note here, too, that what appears to be, quote, on our side or, quote, for our own good can be sinister, too. I mean, just think of when Mrs. Davis reveals that her users prefer her to lie. Just because things make us happy doesn't mean that they're good for us. It's junk food. Yeah. To switch gears a bit, let's talk about the emphasis in the show, especially in the early episodes on cliche writing structures and how those things play into AI. Or as we started the episode, hey there, fellow geeks and geek-tastic listeners, a thing I've never fucking said in my life. Or have heard anyone say geek-tastic no. listeners. Geek-tastic. How do you feel, listeners, about being called geek-tastic? Do you like that? Um, so interesting. <laughs> uh, and how all of these things play into AI. There's been a lot of discussion about AI and art and how it may or may not represent a threat to visual artists and writers. I have not been impressed by AI art in any form, uh, but that doesn't mean it couldn't potentially fool me later, which, much like these other discussions, is why we need to talk about it now, right? Like, AI art might look like shit right now, but that doesn't mean it will forever. Um, but what It's the sh- definitely getting better. Yeah. What the show argues at times and what I've seen to be true is that AI art and AI more broadly seems to tend toward averages or cliche, hence the weird fingers and eyes and teeth in AI art, right? It doesn't understand that there are a certain number of them that is not dependent on like the angle from which a thing is viewed, right? Like if I view, if you view me from head on and you look at my teeth, you're like, oh, there's a certain number of teeth there. And then I turn (laughs) my head and you're like, oh, there's a different number of teeth there. I guess they're all in there. Like, AI simply doesn't understand what teeth are, you know? Um, it might one day. It might one day. And when you ask AI to generate writing, especially fiction, it's just like nothing, right? Like, even the most convincing AI-written fiction has not managed to move me even a little bit. Even when it's not technically cliche, it feels disconnected from humanity. Like, it's telling a story meant to satisfy me without engaging with me at all. Like, a plot summary rather than a story, Right. Was there a particularly good quote about Mrs. Davis in the... In, let me look really quick. Remember the episode where Mrs. Davis traveled to the future and encountered those futuristic gadgets? Yes, the hoverboards, holographic pets, and those self-tying sneakers. It was like a glimpse into what we thought the future would be. What? Mrs. Davis taught us that even the most extraordinary... Even in the most extraordinary circumstances, it's the connections we make with others that matter the most. Shut the fuck up, chat D- GPT. Like, what the fuck? It's That's nothing. A- it's made Mrs. Davis into a Marvel show. Oh, God. Disgusting. It's hard to explain, like, what this looks and feels like without seeing it in action. Um, but I actually think that what they discussed in the show about AI loving cliches is really true. Like, of course, if you boiled a bunch of stories down and looked for more col- for common elements, you'd end up with a hero's journey or a holy grail quest. There's a million of them, right? As again, as Ted Chang wrote, it's ChatGPT is like a blurry JPEG of the internet. It's just kind of everything in a mess, you know. Um, But it's not just making art that this happens with. When we think of algorithms guiding our tastes, we should think of the most important features of an algorithm. They should keep us engaged and watching and interacting with them. That's all, right? Nothing else matters. The most important thing is that we stay engaged and we keep watching. 
That is how you end up with the alt-right slide from gamer videos or reviews of The Last Jedi Jedi or whatever on YouTube. You watch a contentious thing, you slip into some mild anti-feminist rhetoric or like too woke nonsense, and maybe that makes a little bit of sense to you. So you keep watching and suddenly you're listening to white men tell you about the great replacement. You start feeling very scared and threatened and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like YouTube just immediately throws a video about the great replacement and how and white genocide or whatever at you. You get there. Not not necessarily slowly, but you get there step by step. You, right? I think it's changed slightly with YouTube, but for like I would say probably like if you looked at it ten years ago, it was pretty fucking quick. Yeah, it was super quick that you got, would get to suddenly some alt right stuff. Right, um, and it was probably at the beginning of a lot of that stuff like becoming much more public. Yeah, and, and like it's it's actually scary. Like following it down of yeah like when these things were a lot more accessible on youtube and other social media and and as it grew and and if you're the target demographic it doesn't take you don't have to agree with everything to start hitting the emotional beats of oh that's mm-hmm. quite scary oh i don't agree with that but that idea is kind of scary to me like i should look up more about this mm-hmm. and then you end up in this rabbit hole right and you've already going in with a bias yeah of when you want to look more things up about something. exactly like, if you look up Great Replacement, you're already using a dog whistle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're only going to get one type of... Well, you're not going to get one type, but you're going to get one... Um, the conversations being had are going to be very... Um, the, about the same thing. They right. may not all be agreeing, but they're all going to read into the same dog whistle type yeah. of, feel, of, t- of talking points. Exactly. Because the algorithm's goal... The algorithm does not give one single shit about what you're watching. They only care that you are watching. And enjoying. Yeah. Um, this, so this is a quote from the Mrs. Davis review, Algorithm and Blues, which is by James Poniewozik uh, from the New York Times, who writes, I can't help but hear in the algorithm a surreptitious critique, not just of chatbots, but of the algorithms of streaming media services, which thrive not by challenging audience members with the new, but by serving up okay enough equivalents of what they already like. Apparently, I'm not the only one to make the connection. McDormand said in a panel discussion that a streaming service turned down the show because of this theme. So, I wonder which one or what. Oh, I can almost guarantee it was Netflix. Oh, probably. Uh, streaming services, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any algorithmically controlled thing, they don't care about you or your well-being. Period. I like I I need everybody to understand that. I I don't work for any of these companies. I don't this is not a thing that I know hard and fast to be true, but I also know hard and fast that this is true. They don't give a shit about you. I need. I desperately need people to know this. A s- particularly when the TikTok hearings were being had um, because the way people were defending TikTok was as if it were some holistic app trying to give us information mm-hmm. and get us like connect us to information that we need and they're afraid of us because now we can ha- all have this information and while I'm sure that there is some truth to that there is also an insidious TikTok doesn't give a shit about you. TikTok only wants you to watch TikTok. They chose a very good person to... TikTok chose a very good person to put in that hot seat because he was very personable and he was able to really seem um, human Mm -hmm. within that. And TikTok came out looking really... I don't know if any of you... The hearings are extremely entertaining and really interesting and also terrifying. And I was following it really closely. Um, But the... but coming out of it people were treating tiktok as if it is this like holistic place let's like giving us power 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, yes, to some extent, there is there is power in like getting out information um, on certain things, but also like it's, it's all controlled by an algorithm <laughs> that only wants you to keep watching. That's exactly. literally all TikTok cares about. TikTok does not care what kind of content you put on TikTok unless it violates the terms of service, which would get it demonetized. That's I'm, all it cares about. So I'm really curious, like moving forward, how algorithms are going to work with like Gen Alpha. I was uh, this one person. This he's a he's a professor of like communications but specifically i think digital communications and he asks his incoming um freshman uh about social media and one of the things that he's found to be consistent trend this past year was the younger generation getting frustrated with how quick the algorithm is changing Mm -hmm. and how not how quick it's changing but how how much it'll show you the same thing and quick quick to turn to only show you one type of thing Mm -hmm. so i'm curious as we move forward if an like how long it will take an algorithm to adapt to a newer generation mm-hmm. um especially since algorithms are still mostly built by old, old people i don't know i think it would be pretty quick i think they can fix that one that's true i don't think that they're built by old people as much as you think not anymore i guess well i guess one well, ai is one is an extremely fast growing industry yeah, that's true. um and they're going to be looking for people who are our age and younger to to work on them Especially because Gen Z is now entering the workforce or yeah. has entered the workforce. Yeah. It's, it's, and he said that it was not Gen Z that was saying this. It's, yeah, I'm sure. It's the new It's the new generation. It was the freshman, I believe, that this year would have been mm-hmm. Gen Alpha. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, so, again, these websites, any kind of streaming service, any kind of social media, it, they don't care about you or your well-being. They care about you being engaged. They don't have to show you the best, the most interesting or most challenging content. They only have to show you what is good enough to keep you there. That is not that doesn't mean the best. It has to be good enough. You know how evolution works (laughs) where everybody says survival of the fittest. That's not survival of the best. That's survival of the one that for survival of the one that fit the best. It only has has to be good enough. It has to be good enough. It doesn't have to be best. It has to be good enough. The same is true of algorithms. You are not necessarily watching the best content. You are only watching the content that is good enough to make you keep watching. Um, It is, in fact, probably more rewarding for streaming services to play it safe as something weird or different can easily be off-putting. And we don't want that. Looking at Mrs. Davis and the fact that it's only getting one season. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't surprise me that, quote unquote, a streaming service which I am almost certain is Netflix, turn down Mrs. Davis. It's a weird fucking show, right? It's certainly not for everybody. It is not average content, right? (laughs) It is not something that you could just put in your mouth and swallow like oatmeal, you know? You got to chew on that one. And there's little bits in it. There's little bits in it and you don't know what they are. It's so good. Yeah, it's great, but it's like not easy to digest. Some of them are chocolate chips, but you may be dairy free. Right. It's not watching, you know, the latest season of Too Hot to Handle on Netflix, right? Like it's (laughs) it's going to make you work for it a little bit. Yeah. Um, And it is explicitly critical of algorithms, which include the algorithms that guide streaming services like like Netflix. Right. Um. This is another thought from how Mrs. Davis's creators used AI in the writer's room from The Hollywood Reporter, the interview. Um, They basically argue in their algorithms want to show us more of the same because they want to satisfy us and to keep us engaged. But there is a human desire to see something new, too. We do. I know it seems and especially coming from somebody like me who is so critical of major media franchises where I'm just like, oh, they keep 
churning out the same slop and, and, you know, expecting us to eat it day after day. But at the same time, like, we want new slop, right? Like, I say, I complain about, I'm so sorry, I complain about this so much with Taylor Swift. Like, like, oh my god, everybody just, like, everybody's so obsessed with Taylor Swift, it freaks me out. But, like, at the same time as they're just listening to Taylor Swift over and over again, they're clamoring for the next Taylor Swift album, right? Oh, we want, yeah. We want the fresh take on the thing we already know. But we still want freshness, right? We want something new, but we want it to resemble the thing we already know. It's, that's it's like why pop, why nostalgia? It feels like that's probably why nostalgia is so popular. Yeah, we crave the same, but we want it new too. We want a mix of both. Um, this is one of those things that's hard to like definitively prove, but I I really do think it's true. To take something simple as an example, let's think about how big media franchises guided the entertainment world for well over a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things like Star Wars and the MCU and how those things are now so oversaturated to the point that even longtime fans are getting like a little a little bit like, all right, enough already. Right. Like, yep, I've had enough. Yep. I um, love Star Wars and I don't watch it all anymore. Yeah. Uh, I watch. I do watch a lot, but I don't I'm not watching every single thing they put out. Right. Um, it's not universally true. Right. But when you have a bunch of very samey media exploring the same settings, same stories, etc., it can become boring you want something fresh and i think we do want things that are novel to some degree even if that manifests differently in different people like for me i got really sick of wanting to watch the same things over and over again mm-hmm. so i started the movie jar so that you know we we try something new you don't always necessarily think it's great but you might find your next sometimes movie. you end up watching spring breakers right sometimes spring you end up watching probably the best example is i think it was v it was like the Russian folk horror movie. I've never fucking seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably never see anything like it again. And I never would have watched it if I hadn't pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Is it my favorite movie I've ever seen? No. But it was a great experience. It was a super new experience, unlike anything I'd ever had before. I think it's hard right now, too, and like falling into that of like being your comfort zone because things do feel like they're getting worse. Whereas I, I I thought about this a lot of like, are they getting worse or are they just continuing to be just as bad? Yeah. Um, and it's, it feels good to stay in your comfort zone. And when the life is so difficult and just keeps being, especially for like younger people who are just stuck in this world of like knowing you're going to have to work the rest of your life and get nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I want to push myself out of that comfort zone? And like, that's something I struggled with really a lot in the beginning of the year because mm-hmm. I was so fucking depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important and that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like it kind of sucks, but also like it is important to it's, push yourself. It's hard to take risks. You know, you take a risk when you do something new. You could end up with a spring breakers, right? Yeah. And it is, it is emotional work sometimes. Yeah. And like that doesn't always feel good. No. But neither does working out, but I should still do it. Right. I feel, <laughs> I feel better about watching you know, having watched a shitty movie like Spring Breakers versus having watched The Princess Bride for the 85th time. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. I fucking love The Princess Bride. But making The Princess Bride an occasional treat makes it more of a special thing. And now I get to experience lots of special things, right? Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really good, like that making it an occasional treat. It's like super special. Like when Star Wars first got, got its root reboot Mm -hmm. the excitement of like oh we're finally getting something new is really it's a collective feeling within the fandom um and now that we get so much stuff that collective feeling is like not there and it's not as exciting Mm -hmm. um which is a double-edged sword yeah we don't need to all just put our eggs in one basket (laughs) yeah um 
But then they put something out like Rogue One, which mm-hmm. is very different. Yeah. And it was received very well. Mm-hmm. And then they tr- created Ander. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do well. <laughs> but by the people who watched it, it's beloved. It's beloved. Yeah. But it was not It was not a success that they thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. It, uh, Star Wars is a very good example that I can yes. go on forever. Um, so even if this manif- this idea of, the, of us wanting the novel, it manifests differently in different people, right? Um, like, I think a good example is how Mary and I read books. Mary likes to read a lot of books in the same genre, mm-hmm. like different takes on the same genre. But like when you're on a romance kick, you're on a romance kick. I, uh, I reading get stuck. Same with music. Yeah. You're reading this kind of romance. You're reading that kind of romance. You're reading this kind of yeah. romance. And then you might transition into a different genre. Like you read a mm-hmm. fantasy romance and then you're like, oh, I want to read, read a little more fantasy now. And yeah. then you go down a fantasy train. Yep. Like that's kind of like your reading pattern. Yes. I have a literal to be read shelf. <laughs> which is organized by genre. So I don't read the same genre yeah. twice in a row. Yeah. Because I don't want to get stuck in a rut. So I read, I read like a genre book. I read a nonfiction book. And then I go back to like my, I'm reading a philosophy book, a textbook yeah. and two poetry books at the same time. That, and I, I go back between them so that I'm never stuck in a rut. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do this uh, the way that exactly what you're saying, how I read. I do it hard with music mm-hmm. if you go back the past like five years and look at my spotify uh on like rap it's vastly different like yeah. from like, every couple years because i get uh, it's part of it is my mental health like it's part, it's like really common but part but i'm not the only one who does it that you know not everyone has the same mental health problems as me so it's not like an unheard thing of sure but like it is uh it is exactly that's how i can it's how i consume a lot of media yeah I, uh, and then i get to the point where everything when i know i've gotten to the point where i can't do it anymore when i literally can't differentiate yeah you you're still seeking novelty you just seek novelty in a different way than yeah. i do mm-hmm um, we don't all want to travel the world or to eat very different foods mm-hmm. or watch very different media or whatever. Those are all things I like to do, but they're not the way that everybody seeks the novel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that most of us are, in fact, dissatisfied by doing the exact same thing over and over again with no shakeups. There's like a meme about this that's like, um, you know, like a sad, a sad face. And it's like, oh, I drive the same path every day mm-hmm. and I go home and do this, watch the same TV every night. And then it's like me when I take a different route home and buy a soda from a different gas station <laughs> and they're so happy. Like it's like legitimately though, right? Like that's, but they're still like, they're still driving home. You're still driving home, but you inject a little surprise into your, into your day and you're like, oh, everything's different now, right? Like we still crave the novel even when we are following a familiar structure, got a really, I got a really good insidious uh, capitalism uh, uh, <laughs> example for you. Yeah, D- Disney food is never the same. Oh, really? It changes all the time. Mm. They, they discontinue things all the time. So every time you go, there's almost it's guaranteed there's going to be a food, a new food. Something's mm. gone, and something's limited edition. Wow! But you're still going to Disneyland. I thought you were making a reference to buying a little soda from the from the gas station but no but i'm as like you're still driving home they're, right they're, but they're, you're getting a soda somewhere else i'm still going to disneyland but now i'm going to this new restaurant right they're they are using the idea of sameness and novelty yes. to keep you coming back yes and yeah. you know what fucking works yeah i really want to tr- actually this year's d- this year's halloween food d- d- there's nothing i'm like oh i really want to try that <laughs> which is good because i'm not going yeah 
Um, I'm not sure if this idea is something that algorithms are prepared for, unless we're thinking of them in terms of like the alt-right pipeline or the weird children's content on YouTube or whatever. Like, I just don't know that algorithms really are prepared for the idea of, I want the same, but different. <laughs> I guess it it could learn like the little things, the differences that people crave specifically and find the trends within what are they craving differently. So like, food for example mm-hmm. um people want the staples of like a corn dog but they want to find different weird churros mm-hmm. um but but yeah i think it I would it'd be interesting i bet i'm sure an ai could get there yes but- i'm sure it can get there if you're listening to this and you're developing an algorithm hey stop <laughs> <laughs> if you heard what i just said and you're like hmm, twirling your mustache don't all programmers all um hard not hard science uh uh like tech type of degrees should take ethic classes yeah, yeah. i mean some might i don't know i've never yeah. gone through that degree <laughs> path but i feel yeah. like it's probably not for me it probably should be like i'm an english major oh <laughs> uh, this is a quote from okay so this is a video called my current favorite show mrs davis which is by bishop robert Barron. this is a real catholic bishop friends Love it. He's a real Catholic bishop and he fucking loved this show. This video was super interesting to me because like I hardcore disagreed with him about what the show was about. He found it to be a show about the dangers of idolatry. Um, and I, I, I was like, I, I see it, but I guess you missed the part at the end where they like quite clearly draw a line between Mrs. Davis and God, but go off, I guess. Um, Anyway, in this, he talks about social media algorithms changing the way we think and act for the benefit of certain political and economic actors. Mm -hmm. And he specifically says, we're not using them, they're using us, they being the algorithms Mm -hmm. in this instance. So I think the implication that algorithms are using us is like not realistic at this point. These algorithms may be called AI, but to my admittedly rudimentary understanding, they are not truly intelligent in any sense and don't really have goals or whims beyond the ones that they're programmed to have. Um, I think we should be accurate in our assessment of these kinds of things. It's not the algorithms of social media that came up with the idea to show us propaganda or conspiracy theories. It's the people that program them to keep us on the site, right? Mm -hmm. These algorithms do not have goals of their own. The goals are programmed by the people developing them. Or bad. Yeah. Not all of them. Hashtag not all developers. Not like the low workers. Right. But I'm thinking immediately every time we talk, like what's coming to mind is facebook or meta or whatever and then after uh january 6th having to turn off whatever it was that yeah but then turning it back right healthy skepticism about algorithms and how we're shown things is good in my opinion but we should be accurate about where these things come from Mm -hmm. but he makes an important point these algorithms aren't just showing us a cool new tv show or whatever right they're showing us propaganda and conspiracy theories and misinformation meant to sway our views in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. I don't know the specifics of how Twitter's algorithm works, but I do know that content that stokes anger tends to perform better. I know this because I have seen it myself in action with my posts. I know that posts that use angry language do better than posts that do not. I think there's, I I swear I've read a research article I'm about sure that. I'm about sure there is. That, that, that um, things that make you angry are still creating passion yes on both sides you get both yes sides um that benefits somebody which includes twitter but also people who spread that kind of information who want to sow discontent and anger and frustration it's never just about information right we might want to think it's about information but it's never just about information 
But despite my own feelings about technology and AI being fairly pessimistic, I don't feel that way all of the time about everything or I would simply cease to exist. Um, Which is why I do appreciate that the show acknowledges that sometimes these things can be good for us. Technology allows us to access unbelievable amounts of information that we can learn, right? Like, Where do you get all your research from? Right, yeah. Your academic research. I mean, my entire job is online. Mm -hmm. It isn't all bad, but I think more importantly, it doesn't have to be all bad right none of this has to be bad yeah um like i like that mrs davis the show allows room for why people might be drawn to an ai and how that ai could be helpful to us if it were all harmful there would be less danger we'd have no reason to use it right like if if you plugged into mrs davis she was like hey asshole like Hey, you fucking suck. A very specific type of person. Yeah, would the, some people <laughs> but, would like but it, but most, most people wouldn't. wouldn't. Most people wouldn't like that. But if we log on and it's kind to us and it makes us feel welcomed and warm, like that's more dangerous, like right? Mother. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, but the fact that there are issues, some of which are very concerning, but it also benefits us, helps us understand why somebody might use an AI like this. And this will become increasing, re- increasingly relevant in the next section. I think to fully deal with something like this, we need to understand as much as we can about it. Just saying it's good or bad without also trying to understand why it may be those things and why somebody might use it anyway limits our ability to do anything about it. If we don't understand why people would choose to do something, then we can't do anything about them doing it, right? Yeah. Um, something I thought about while watching, especially because there are a lot of parallels between the relationship uh, people have with Mrs. Davis and religion, is something that came up in our His Dark Materials episodes. The idea that dis- disconnection from the world and from each other in favor of something else, such as digital life or the promise of the afterlife or whatever, can lead us to care less about the physical world, leading us to abandon and not care for it. I appreciate that Mrs. Davis explores both sides of this. I think it makes v- its views clear, especially because Simone despite everything, despite all of the good she sees in the end for Mrs. Davis as well, she still chooses to turn off the algorithm, a choice she comes to after having had several important conversations about why people may turn to to AI for answers, rather than primarily because she blames the algorithm for her father's death. It's okay that her opinion doesn't change, but the reasoning behind her opinion does. I think that's yeah. important. I was like, oh my God, she's not going to turn off the algorithm. I was worried. I was really I was worried. worried. I'm like, no girl, you got to turn it off. <laughs> I was really worried. But the way it ended with it, I, I'm grateful in that the ending was satisfying. Yeah. I'm not getting more. Yeah. I am grateful. And I feel like they probably were like, we're only going to get one season, aren't we? <laughs> um, something I really appreciate is that the in the ending where Simone has learned about how Mrs. Davis encouraged people to power the windmill for no reason other than that it was good for them in terms of physical health. And it made the world nicer, right? Like, it just made the world nicer to have this this windmill going. Yeah. Um, we might assume that without Mrs. Davis's influence, there is no reason to carry on with it because we live in a capitalistic society in which we're like, oh, it's something beautiful that doesn't produce any value. Fuck it then. Um, but in the end, we see somebody show up to still power that windmill for no reason other than maybe for their own health and because it makes the world a little bit nicer. Once problems are solved, ostensibly, supposedly... Utopia. According to Mrs. Davis, hunger, world peace, etc. And we can focus on the things that matter. It's easier to do something good for ourselves and for making the world more beautiful, such as powering the windmill. The algorithm led that person there. Like, Mrs. Davis is the one who told that person about the mill. But the person takes the initiative to continue it. And I find that so refreshing. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that this algorithm said, hey, it would be good for you to do this, to power this windmill. 
And then the algorithm disappears and the person still goes, that was a good experience. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. It's it, ultimately it's up to them. They still make the good choice. It lets us put faith back in humanity. Right. But he, they still have that. Uh, um, the trust in Davis so much they'll do anything. So the question I have is, are they doing it? Because I mean, I think that you're right. I think that that that's why it is. But the, but to be devil's advocate, is it because they have nothing? They don't know what to do, but they know Mrs. Davis said this was good for me. I don't know. When I when I saw the ending, it looked the evidence that I had mm-hmm. suggested to me the purpose with which the person was walking suggested they were free of influence. I agree, but I definitely think that that's something to think about, especially right after and there's all like all the crashes and stuff. Yeah. And, like chaos is going to is going to happen. So how many people will be doing those things just because that's what they were told? I think that's possible, but I don't think the evidence is in is in that scene for me to say that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to do. Yeah. I agree. Um just to devil's advocate it. Sure. Um you know, religion. Speaking of, let's talk about religion. <laughs> Uh, here's the usual disclaimer about religion. Um, Mary and I are not religious. And when we talk about religion, it may sound offensive to some people. And I'm sorry about that. You're critical. I disagree. I, I, I don't get along with organized religion. <laughs> I, I just don't. Like, uh, I have my own personal beliefs. And that's fine. And this is our podcast. And this is our podcast. <laughs> Mostly, I don't want anybody to feel alienated by what we're going to say or like we think you're stupid or bad people if you are religious. It's not like that. But we have to accept the truth stuff that we know. Yeah. And and I and like I am a person who's critical of organized religion. So I just want you to know going into this conversation, we're going to be critical of organized religion. I am very... What is that saying? It's like, I love... Oh... Um, your Christians are so unlike your Christ or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Anyway, I don't have beef with individual religious people. I mean, I do, but not like because you're religious, <laughs> but, um, we are going to be critical of organized religion. And I'm sorry if that bothers you. I know that's not an adequate apology. We don't think we need to apologize for it. it. Yeah. It's, this is a tricky thing to talk about. This is us making sure no one's going to be upset with this. Missy really making sure no one's going to be upset. You can be upset if you want. I, I have no power to not make you yeah. upset. But I, I think, I think what I want is when we have these kind of discussions, it's not meant to alienate you. It's, we disagree with organized religion and there's no way to do that without stepping on toes. Like I there's just isn't. with like a li- religion as a whole. I wouldn't say that I do. I, yeah, I know that. I I just I disagree with structures. That's fair. Anyway, I was going to say that I don't think it's a secret that the show is talking about AI, but it's also talking about religion. But then mm-hmm. I thought about some of the takes I read on this show and realized maybe it is a secret to some people. Um, <laughs> I when I read this in the art in the outline, I was like, really? Yeah. This made so clear, especially at right. the end with with the mother yeah. and then turning off services. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to say it outright. Anytime the show is talking about our relationship with AI and answers and mystery, it is also talking about our relationship with religion. Anytime it talks about mothers, it is talking about AI and religion. Anytime it's talking about religion, it is talking about AI and mothers. Fight me. <laughs> like it is. While each of them seem to represent a unique facet of connection and understanding and nurturing, they exist in a Venn diagram in my interpretation of the show. Mrs. Davis exists at the center of the Venn diagram of AI, religion, and mothers. Yeah. And that's why I love it. Mm-hmm. 
The reasons people follow religion are wide and varied, but one reason is because religion provides answers and purpose in a world of chaos, right? Mm -hmm. When confronted with an existential crisis, why am I here? What is my purpose? Religion is a very easy answer. I am here because I was made in God's image, maybe to enjoy his creation, maybe as punishment for sins in a previous life, maybe this, maybe that. Religion can give you a sense of certainty, right? Uh, unfortunately, most of us can't chat directly with God to find out what that purpose <laughs> is. We can try, but he doesn't often answer. And even in the show, they can't. Right. Not everyone But can. they can talk to Mrs. Davis. Uh, but imagine a world in which you could talk to an all-knowing figure who's everywhere at once and who can reward you for your goodness with something other people can appreciate. That's the function Mrs. Davis serves. And much like religion, she may to some degree be built on positive values for community, but... Things don't always work out that way in the end. I'm thinking of, for example, you know, the Bible's talk about caring for your fellow man mm. and helping the poor and then how these things turn out in the end where we're like, hey, fuck poor people. Or even within its own text. Right. I'm going to kill all the firstborn. Babies. Yeah. Like, God <laughs> <Yeah>. loves abortion. <laughs> um, so first I want to talk about mystery and wonder. Um mystery and wonder like they're maybe not the first things you think of when you think of mrs davis um i personally i love having access to lots of information at my fingertips most of the things we discuss on this podcast are things i have learned through the internet uh but sometimes there's such a thing as too much information right if we can answer every question definitively whether through god or an ai or our own mothers what's left for us like, what do we do if we lose the ability, capacity, or motivation to wonder? And I think that that's, like, deep down inherent in a lot of people that they may not even realize. Yeah. Because I think that I know people get frustrated with me and people get frustrated with other people when they're having a discussion. Like, why don't we just look this up? Mm -hmm. They get called a know-it-all or, like, they just get frustrated. And I know this is true. Uh, I know this is true for, like, um, people who... I am not autistic, but I have seen people who are autistic have a matter of fact, kind of like, well, this is fact, mm -hmm. right? Because they know, and then people get upset about that because mm -hmm. they want that wonder. They yeah. want that. So I think it's inherently ingrained. In yeah. I think to some degree, we are put on earth to ponder, you know? That's your meaning, part of your meaning of life. My meaning in life is to pay attention. This is our endless and proper work. And see how the sign that says that. It's a Mary Oliver quote. Um, I. I think that it is good for us to wonder. I think that it is good for us to engage with mystery. I don't think it's good for us to always have the answer. And I think you can do that um, with science and things like that. What S is science if not an attempt it, to answer a wonder? Yeah. You so know? Um, people who get mad at me for going and looking up academic studies can shove it. It's. It, <laughs> I mean, we watched Arrival last night. And, um, there's a Such line, a good example. there's a line in the short story that I, and I'm not in, it's not in front of me and I'm not going to look it up because that would defeat the purpose of the conversation, wouldn't it? It's something along the lines of like, the story is in part, uh, kind of about determinism and the idea of like, what if you know the future, what happens to you and can you still have free will if you know the future? And the main character says something to the effect of what if I know the future and that gives me the sense of urgency and responsibility to do what needs to be done. Like, that's a different way of looking at mm -hmm. determinism. Just because she knows something doesn't remove wonder from the equation. Um, so I think there is an element to all of us, even if we have so much information at our disposal, we still wonder about things, right? We, should, we, we still want to feel 
that sense of mystery. We, we still want to engage with it. And I think that's why people see, like, when I look up something, they think I'm ending a conversation and I'm not ending a conversation. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm jump starting. <laughs> you're, you're looking for a new angle. Or- yeah. Or I'm trying to get past the rudimentary part of something. Right. Um, but people don't see it that way. Yeah. So this happens a lot at like, not now, but at previous workplaces. Yeah. So we got to talk a little bit about loss, right? Like a little bit. I didn't know that these were the same. Yeah. So Damon Lindelof's first really big break was on Lost, where he was a showrunner, executive producer, and writer. You know, the show famed for introducing a million plot points that never got resolved. Also, the show that got famous for a sort of wishy-washy, religious-ish ending that irritated huge amounts of its devoted fan base. (laughs) The show that blends sci-fi with fantasy and philosophical questions about purpose and destiny through deities or deity-like figures walking among average people. You know, that show. Um it's a lofty thing, even though it has the reputation for being like kind of stupid. Like when you think about lost reputation today, it has the reputation of being kind of stupid. But, but when it came out, it was like, oh my, it was the beginning yeah. of the puzzle box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, which having watched all of Lost, I feel like it is not entirely inaccurate. It's wielding some huge ideas, some of which land and some of which sp- fall spectacularly on their face. But I do want to give Lindelof some grace here. Lost came out just shy of 20 years ago, wow. and everybody grows a whole hell of a lot in 20 years, right? So the reason that I bring Lost as opposed to Watchmen or The Leftovers up, aside from the fact that I haven't watched Lost or I haven't watched The Leftovers or Watchmen yet, um, is that when watching Lost, there was a certain point where I had to stop looking for answers and just start embracing the strangeness of what I was seeing. Uh, or in philosophical terms, I had to accept the absurd, the fact that there is no inherent meaning, right? Now, maybe Lindelof and the other writers intended for things to have a meaning that I wasn't getting, but that doesn't really matter. There's something to be said for embracing the experience of something without explaining or justifying it. I mean, that's life, isn't it? Like, yeah. It took me a while to get that. When I was younger, I needed an answer for everything. Yeah. And now I've worked on you can not f- doing that. Sometimes you have to feel, not know. Yes. Yeah. And I know that sounds contradictory to what I was just saying of like, I like to look up everything, but I think that's what is interesting to me yeah. is it's, it's, it's beginnings of conversations that might not go anywhere, but I still learn from it. Yeah. Um, like we can try to ascribe meaning to life or to whatever is happening in lost, uh, but we'll never know for sure if it's real or if it's true. And I think this is at work in Mrs. Davis as well. I rewatched a few episodes because the show didn't initially grab me and I wanted to refresh my memory before talking about it. And I can see how much intricate planning and foreshadowing there is, but the experience of watching it for the first time, which is likely how most viewers will engage with it. Like I, I don't think most people who who start watching a show finish the show, let alone watch it again, right? Not this show in particular, but most shows. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people watch a few episodes of something and then move on with their lives. Um, So I think most people are going to watch the show a little bit and then maybe finish it and maybe try it again. But um, watching it for the first time is having a lot of spaghetti thrown at you and not really understanding what to do with all of it, right? We can be annoyed with what seems like a bunch of meaningless stuff, or we can embrace the experience for what it is, and especially how novel it is, right? Like, talk about looking for the fresh and new and exciting. Mm -hmm. This is that. And it's on a familiar show. We all know the hero's journey. We all know Mm -hmm. the Holy Grail crust, etc. And this is like, hey, what if that was super weird? (laughs) Um, That's what I want for my Star Wars. Yeah. 
there really is nothing else like Mrs. Davis. So I appreciated that even when I wasn't fully invested in the show or when I didn't understand entirely what was happening, there are still points that like there are still points that I don't understand. But I appreciated that they were interesting and novel to me and weren't just, you know, a Star Wars reskin or whatever. Um, so this is a quote from uh, the New York Times Review, Mrs. Davis, Algorithm and Blues by James Ponywozak. Wozik? I'm so sorry, I cannot say that name correctly. Uh, Mrs. Davis, the series, on the other hand, cartwheels from the sublime to the goofy. I wish it took itself more seriously, which probably also would have made it funnier. But it has moments of astonishment. A late revelation about Mrs. Davis's origins made me bark with laughter. (laughs) Having access to all recorded human text can make AI a great mimic, but it takes something else to show your audience a thing they haven't seen before. So the little tidbit that the creators of the show use AI to write their episode titles cracks me up because you, I love that. Yeah, because you look at the mess of them and at the very different names of the show, the very different kind of mess of the show, and it makes me appreciate even more how necessary a human touch is to creating engaging art. Right? I love th- the fact that they use AI because it shows exactly how bad it really is <laughs> right not just on how all of them are pretty like wacky but the fact that the episode where they're literally chasing after a crazy whale <laughs> is not named after moby dick but a different <laughs> the great famous piece of literature the great gatsby colon 2001 a space Odyssey. <laughs> like that is it's it's such a like it would have been so easy right you feel like oh of course the ai is gonna get that one yeah it couldn't even get that one yeah are you crazy yeah these so the funny. titles that it spits out are just word soup right these episodes are nuts but no matter how weird and sometimes nonsensical the show gets there's a purpose and a humanity to the nonsense that i think you can really feel whereas if i read the great gatsby colon 2001 a space odyssey i don't feel anything i wish it would have been if i could make one tweak i would have done great gatsby the great gatsby colon just dicks <laughs> Like Moby Dick. Yeah. Get it? That would have been great. <laughs> but what matters most about this to me is the fact that it makes us wonder, right? These, this this really makes us like, you can't watch Mrs. Davis, I feel like, and not be like, have a thought, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't watch it and not have a thought about it. I don't think you can be a purely passive consumer of this show. It is handing us ideas, not just events. So let me be a fucking snob for a moment <laughs> here. But, like, this is how... This is something that I get irritated with, with, like, the MCU, right? Is that I feel like it's handing me events on a theme. Yeah. Whereas Mrs. Davis is handing me ideas, right? It's saying, hey, think about this. Which is why it's... It's spoon feeding you a lot of information, but it doesn't feel like for me, at least it didn't feel like, oh, God, okay, we're spoon feeding, spoon feeding me a one on one class. Right. It felt much, uh, much like at least I'm I'm being spoon fed, but it's like a fucking delicacy. Right. Yeah. They're feeding me some good, some good uh, farm to table foraged mushroom soup. Some, some foie gras. And then you have to think about the The ethics of foie gras. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that's what it feels really like. good metaphor. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I uh, that one. <laughs> um, and and some of these ideas are handed to us because the show sidesteps logic and is very playful in its delivery. I'm still chewing on, for example, why the resistance seems to be cr- comprised entirely of a specific kind of man. For example, yeah, right. Like wh- what? <laughs> why? It doesn't seem harmful, but I'm chewing on it. I'm chewing on that man looking for his wife's piano in yeah. episode two. Things like that. Like it's. It's given me things and it hasn't given me answers. And I don't necessarily want answers. I want to be like, what does that mean to me? You know, because 
I could just Google it, right? I could just fucking ask Siri. I can't ask Siri. I don't have an Apple device. But Mary could ask Siri, like, hey, what was the, why were all the men in the resistance so that type of man? I don't know how I'd word yeah. that in a way. Why were they that type of man? And Siri might have an answer, but Siri can't have my answer, you know? It also is going to choose the first answer in right. Google, so... <laughs> don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. Um, so this is a quote from The Nun versus AI Joyride. Mrs. Davis never met, never met a genre it couldn't mutate, and Betty Gilpin is here for is there for it by <laughs> Michael Ordonia. This is an interview with Betty, with Betty Gilp- Gilpin, who plays Simone. And she says, if we have all the answers in our pocket, do we stop asking the big questions? It's something I worry about as an actor. If we're just relying on screens and wish fulfillment and doom scrolling, are we taking for granted our ability to be existential or creative or to access the inexplicable? I see my daughter have free access to that part of her brain as a toddler who isn't addicted to her screen yet. But, you know, I'm sure in due time. Um Lost may not have been the best at delivering us interesting questions without answers. Like, to to use a very popular example, we know what the smoke monster is in Lost, but we don't know why or what significance it has. But it did lead to a lot of speculation. Unfortunately, it's that sort of puzzle box narrative speculation that doesn't really do it for me, right? I'm much more fond of what Mrs. Davis is doing with regard to mystery. It's making me think about things like autonomy and a technology and spirituality in addition to being really entertaining. It's straddling that line much better than Lost did. Mrs. Davis, the show, is a kind of technology too, right? Technology can stoke our sense of wonder. It can make us creative. It can make us think deeper about the world. And I think it does that by not giving us the answers the way that Mrs. Davis does, right? The the technology, Mrs. Davis, not the show, Mrs. Davis. (laughs) Sometimes it's good to be left without a clear explanation for everything. This is apparent in the show's handling of magic, too. We're introduced to Simone when she exposes a a magician for using a trick to manipulate somebody into giving them money. We also see how that desire for unknowable magic, magic that couldn't be immediately exposed by Mrs. Davis, led to Monty's death, right? We also see how much joy magic brought to Simone's life originally and how the desire for knowledge on the part of her father caused her harm. There are always multiple sides to the story, and that's something that Mrs. Davis really makes clear. It's like magic can be really wonderful and joyful, and magic can also be just like everything else, a tool to manipulate. Just like AI and religion. Mm-hmm, exactly. As we mentioned earlier, religion is one way to explain the mysteries and questions of life. It can be really comforting to believe that there's a plan behind the chaos, that all the suffering is worth something in the end, all that kind of stuff. But much like AI, organized religion can have drawbacks. Many violent and hateful acts have been done under the name of religion. The leaders are human and capable of everything a human is capable of for good or for evil, etc. Like, unfortunately, humanity. And also, in a great way, humanity, right? Um, I think the show also does a good job of exploring that, including the reasons why people turn to religion and remain faithful, as well as why that faith can be a detriment without demonizing people who are religious or who would use Mrs. Davis or anything else. It's remarkably even handed. Like, I was really impressed by how even handed the show was to the point that I started to get a little worried in the end about how even handed it was being. Uh, So this is from... Uh, South by Southwest, Mrs. Davis is a perfectly timed warning about AI madness, which is by James Hibbard, who writes, uh, instead of the usual AI tropes, the team was instead interested in exploring the idea of a system clearly programmed to be benevolent and how even that could still go wrong. Instead of the AI wiping out humanity, what would that look like? Lindelof says to us, that felt like the more potentially comedic and interesting way of looking at the God question, which is, 
What do people turn to God for? How does God make people feel? The thing about AI is it takes away the best part of God's branding, which is mystery. So I want to return to the idea of benevolence later. Um, so for now, let's focus on the idea of God's branding, as Lindelof puts it, being mystery. So generally speaking, the show is dealing with a Christian or Catholic deity. It doesn't really venture outside of that to talk about other religions, which is fine and which makes sense given that it's largely set in America and Europe, right? Um, Simone is a nun, which we initially assume is because she wants to serve God, but it turns out she actually <laughs> wants to serve God, if you know what I mean. I'm just kidding. Um, but not. Actually, she just wanted to marry Jesus because he's kind of a babe, um, which is extremely funny, right? It is. That's, it's really, really funny. Um she never really had faith because the first time she tries to pray, which is for Wiley riding his stupid bull. Um, the first time she tries to pray, tries to pray. She ends up literally meeting Jesus. Can you fucking imagine? I know. <laughs> I would be, if that happened to me, just not like, as I, I'd be like, God damn it. You'd be so mad. I'd be so pissed. I'd be like, I thought you were fake. Mary would throw a full tantrum. I would, I would. And then, and then, I'd, and then I'd be like, pull out a Bible. Let's go through this. Let's do, okay. You got some fucking answers. You got to, <laughs> You got some explaining to do. I'd like to know. I've like some explanation. What was left out? I'd be like, did that one Gnostic gospel really happen? (laughs) Did that really happen? (laughs) You gotta tell me. Uh, They would. They would be like, I'm actually not Jesus. Go away. Simone would know. Simone would know. (laughs) (laughs) This is a deep cut. Yeah, deep cut jokes. Um, there's really no room for faith if you know without a doubt that Jesus is real, right? Like you don't have faith anymore. You just know, as Gabriel tells to uh constantine in the film constantine (laughs) Um, such is the strength of my faith yeah that's what the nun says um so simone's religious devotion is missing a key component of religion the mystery right she doesn't have faith she knows and Uh, she doesn't want to know what's behind the door right which again ties back to the whole theme of AI and technology granting us unlimited knowledge. She's approaching the unknowable with knowledge and everybody using this as Davis is approaching the world with more knowledge than maybe they should have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a quote from the strange comfort of Mrs. Davis by Jason Leaf. There are many ways to interpret Mrs. Davis on the surface. It's a crazy story about AI consumerism, the sheepishness of human beings. People take comfort in the presence of a benevolent, beneficent dictator who ties everything together and makes the meaning of it all simple and plain we want to be happy to have five out of five experiences as we try to earn our wings to get the security we're more than willing to sacrifice our freedom and with it responsibility it's not hard to see the connection between mrs davis and an all-knowing all-controlling deity it's much easier to keep jesus in the tomb where at least we know where he is an entombed jesus is manageable like a short order cook he gives us what we want a resurrected Christ is free. The resurrected Jesus empowers us to live as the new humanity in the wor- in this world. So we might take responsibility for our lives and the plight of our neighbors. Jesus calls us into a life that is not fixed. It's not some grand plan we need to figure out. It's a life open to new possibilities. What Jürgen Moltmann calls the surplus of resurrection and what the Bible refers to as new creation. Instead of fearing uncertainty. Sorry. Wow. I just kicked Mary under the table. (laughs) Instead of fearing uncertainty, instead of holding on tightly, we are given God's blessing to ride off into the unknown with the promise that Jesus will always be with us and that we too are with him. This is the power of hope. And this is how Mrs. Davis ends. Sounds like a really good good, uh, uh, sermon you just gave. Thank you. Uh, It was actually uh, Jason Leaf. So I do wonder how this show changes as you come to it with different perspectives. I came to a person, I came to the show as a person who isn't religious, but who finds value in ritual and I guess like secular forms of worship, if I have to put a name to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to explain how I feel about things. I just feel them. 
Um, and the show came off to me as being empathetic toward, but not endorsing people who follow religions because they're a means of coping with the world, right? We all got to cope, you know? Yeah, for We're sure. All coping in different ways. Or else, like, all the nuns would have be like, fucking Jesus. <laughs> and they clearly weren't. Yeah, not all of them. Um, but I did read slash watch multiple religious people who found validation in the show, which was really interesting to me. I don't think there's a correct answer here, even if I'm very convinced that I'm correct. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, of course, it's up to interpretation, right? But I do want to talk about this quote because I find it very interesting. Leaf discusses how he sees the relationship between Mrs. Davis and a distant, all-powerful God and how it makes sense to believe in that part because it makes Jesus a distant figure, right? Um, if Jesus is entombed, he is static and unchanging. Our world is defined. If Jesus is resurrected, we have a strange new world ahead of us. Leaf suggests that Mrs. Davis supports the latter view, Mrs. Davis the show, that Jesus, or our deity of choice, but probably Jesus, is real and alive and verifiably so, um, which means that Jesus wants us to go into this new world and experience it with him at our side, which is like, fine, I can get behind that as a philosophy. Um, not like a personal one, but I can be like, okay, I, I see how you got there. And I think that that's maybe not the worst thing for you to believe. Um, I do disagree about the ultimate goals of, goals of the show, though. It reads quite clearly to me as saying that over-reliance on an outside force, whether that's God or technology or even our own mothers, to guide our life is detrimental. Seemed really clear. Yeah. It, <laughs> it does, seemed really clear. It does end, hopefully, in my opinion, as Simone makes peace with those things before ultimately choosing to turn Mrs. Davis off. And without Mrs. Davis, people still put beautiful things into the world, represented by the person going into power the windmill. Just Something like... This is uh, just like Simone so well without Jesus. Right, exactly. Um, we don't need God or technology or our mother to participate in our world. And in fact, they can lead us to do so dishonestly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in some senses, AI and algorithms are an attempt to reinvent or invent God. When looking at worldwide trends, it's more complicated, especially because of who is having children and who isn't. But within the US, the number of atheists and agnostic people is increasing, right? Absolutely. The church is... Uh, many churches are having uh, crises. In particular, the Mormon church is having a crisis mm-hmm. and literally rebranding. Like, literally yeah. rebranding. But, like, when you look real... It gets complicated because when you look real worldwide, the number of atheists is shrinking. Um, but that... Yeah. It has to do with who's having children, where they're having children, how many children are being had, like... The world in which they live in. Yeah, yeah. Culture. It, it gets very... It, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but just because people don't believe in a god or gods or aren't sure if they exist doesn't mean that they now have all of the answers, right? Which is why this isn't a specific thing associated with only religious people. We all have these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, although having said that, a study from Mustafa Karatas and Keisha M. Cutright showed that thinking about God increased the likelihood that people would consider AI recommendations on things like food, huh. mutual funds, dental procedures, and entertainment. They would take AI recommendations more seriously if they believed in God than if they did not. And I'll link to this study in the in the show notes. You can take a look at it. Um, but this is a quote from uh, Cutright, one of the researchers, um, in an article called Research Suggests That Thinking About God Makes People More Likely to Trust AI Recommendations. Imagine Very aptly that. titled. <laughs> Um, so Cutright says, and of course, we also measured the extent to which participants were religious or not in the first place, because if you are religious, it's more likely that God is salient. Sorry, God is salient to you. The results showed when people are actively thinking about God, they are less averse to AI and more willing to consider AI based recommendations. Regardless of whether or not we're religious, we know that God is associated with a sense of power, vastness and wonder, Cutright said. This awe for the divine elicits a sense of smallness and fallibility in people. Hmm. 
So obviously this isn't completely hard and fast rule for everybody everywhere, right? So they didn't study everybody everywhere. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Are they are they trying to say is the idea that those who think because people think about God, they're more willing or people who believe who are thinking and believe in God, their mind works in a way that makes them believe it more. I think it's a bit of a column A, a bit of column B. Okay. The, what the study showed is that people who were thinking about God in in and I think including and with more emphasis in people who were believers in God, mm-hmm. were more likely to take recommendations from AI on everything from what show they should watch to what mutual funds they should invest in. Like the very small risk to the very big risk. Interesting. The people who believed in God were more likely to do that than people who did not. Um, but I think this, I, you know, it's obviously not true for everybody everywhere. But I think it points toward a role that algorithms and AI serve in modern society. We exist in a quote-unquote God-is-dead world, whether or not we are religious or not we are in a post Nietzsche God is dead world um, so we keep reinventing God right mm-hmm. and a whether that's science whether that's you know a, a new church <laughs> whether that's fucking Xenu I don't know like whatever it is we keep reinventing God and AI is a variation of us reinventing God I think it's natural to want answers and to want purpose so it doesn't surprise me that people will turn to AI for those things instead of towards God which you know, kind of has an uncool reputation these days. Um, did you hear there's, I think it's a real interview with um, a pastor who's having a hard time with their, and they're, they're hearing this from other, other congregations as well in churches. Um, they're teaching like straight, just basic Jesus stuff, like love thy neighbor. Mm-hmm. And people are coming up to them and asking them why they're teaching liberal shit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is, this is, this is literally what yeah. the Bible says. And they're like, well, the world isn't like that anymore. And we're in that, that's too weak. Like, mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. It's rough out there. It's wild. Um, that said, I did find it interesting, the correlation that this study showed between people who have a belief in God and being less averse to AI. I don't know that we can make a concrete claim about it. Like, I don't know that we can say, for example, that people who believe in God are less interested in humans or anything like that. Like, that wasn't studied by the scope of this, this, uh, this study. So don't, you know, don't jump to any conclusions there. But I think it's interesting to note that, like, there is a correlation in the study between people who believe in God and people who trust AI. That's an interesting correlation, whether or not we can, you know, pull any other meaning from it, especially in a show like this, which is about that. Um, This is from the Wikipedia entry for the existential risk from artificial general intelligence. (laughs) Um, the thesis that AI can pose existential risk has many detractors. Skeptics sometimes charge that the thesis is crypto-religious with an irrational belief in the possibility of superintelligence replacing an irrational belief in an omnipotent God. Jaron Lanier, I think is how that said, argued in 2014 that the whole concept that a then current, that then current machines were in any way intelligent was quote, an illusion and a quote, stupendous con by the wealthy. So I wanted to end this section on this note for a couple of reasons. In the past, I think specifically in the Matrix episodes, we talked a bit about how simulation theory, the idea that the world is actually just a simulation, uh, basically functions as a replacement for God for like atheist tech dudes, you know? Like if you're like an atheist tech dude and you're like, oh, what if the world was a simulation, man? You're, you've basically just invented religion part two. Yeah. You know? Like, is that congratulations, not, is that you did it again. What- jesus or god created right it's, it's kind of just the same like yes i know there's some differences and there's like some but there's differences statistically 
statistically because of how statistics work it's likely that we're living in a simulation but like who fucking cares i don't care i just don't care about that space is too big for that (laughs) it's also worth noting that while much is being made of artificial intelligence right now it's not actually all that intelligent um you can read more about that on your own uh but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned with it right People will keep working on it and it will get smarter and it will threaten the jobs of actual people without adequate safety nets in place unless a lot about our culture changes really quickly. It's doing that now. Yeah. But I am also really frustrated about the fixation of wealthy people on AI instead of like the climate crisis. Like it does remind me of the fixation on heaven or hell instead of the world that we live in that we discuss in the Twilight and His Dark Materials episodes. The climate crisis is a huge fucking deal. But Elon Musk, etc. are too busy wringing their hands about the AI that they fucking worked so hard to invent that they don't take any fucking time to give a shit about, you know, wildfires or hurricane season. Not even just not give a shit, but actively deny. Yeah. Because that if they had to accept it, then they'd have to be like, they probably feel the need to do something. Yeah. And Elon Musk can just be like, well, Tesla, I invented Tesla. Yeah, absolutely. Bro, you didn't. Uh, anyway, like, does it really matter if AI takes our jobs if the earth is uninhabitable? Like, fucking get it together. Come on. This, it drives me bananas. It drives me fucking bananas to see people with the power to do things that are just like, oh, AI. And I'm like, okay, maybe stop the planet from burning. I don't know. Uh, you have anything else to say about any of that religion, etc.? No, I could talk about forever. So yeah, we can. <laughs> let's move on before we get more into the weeds. Let's talk about relationships. Um, because so much of this show revolves around these giant world-shaking events and like huge concepts, like you know, God and technology, it would be easy, I think, to miss how much of this show is actually about relationships between people. Uh, Simone sits at the nexus of several relationships, right? Her past relationship with Wiley, her current relationship with Jay, her lack of relationship with her mother, her lack of relationship with Mrs. Davis, right? And and everybody else has relationships too, right? To one another, to Mrs. Davis, etc. And when we look at those relationships, we can see how much they have in common with one another. And in one of the show's more interesting moments, how love and care can cause us to hurt one another. Because that's not a conversation we have very often. Um, this is another quote from the nun versus AI joyride. Mrs. Davis never met a genre. It couldn't mutate. And Betty Gilpin is there. Gilpin is there for it by Michael Ordonia. So this is another quote from Betty Gilpin. Uh, Simone's faith in the convent when we meet her is sort of loving with no risk and faith with no risk. She learns that she's not immune to this thing that Mrs. Davis is wanting to provide for people. I'll give you all the answers with no risk. I'll give you love and wish fulfillment with nothing required on your end. When actually that's cutting out the purpose of being alive. To me, it's just wandering, fumbling, existential messes. The free fall of loving somebody is, to me, the most beautiful part of being alive. So Simone doesn't really say that she thinks herself above users of Mrs. Davis. She doesn't, I don't think she ever says, like, I'm better than people who use Mrs. Davis, right? I don't think she does. Uh, but it's there in her character, right? In the way that she responds to people who do. Like how she responds to Wiley having wings, for example. <laughs> she doesn't know that he has an expiration date, right? She doesn't know that at first. So she sees him with wings and what she sees is a Mrs. Davis user and she feels betrayed immediately by that. She's angry with him. Um, it's a potential sign, of course, that he might be in league with Mrs. Davis and like That's that he's I betrayed thought, the yeah. resistance. But I think it goes further than that, too. There's a, there's a sense of personal betrayal to it. Absolutely. Um, 
But her relationship with Jay and with God as a nun are not entirely dissimilar, right? She does have this close person relationship with Jay, a relationship that most people don't have, which replaces her faith with knowing, and a semi-antagonistic relationship with the boss, who she believes to be God. But in this relationship, she has a lot of answers. And she gets frustrated when she finds out that she's not the only one, that Jay, in fact, does have this personal relationship with other people. Like, even though she knew it, she didn't it wasn't, know she, it. It wasn't until they conversated about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she has the illusion of knowing and being known by Jay, just like people have the illusion of knowing and being known by Mrs. Davis or by God or by their mothers. Uh, I agree with what Gilpin says here. The idea that we need risk to experience life, even if that risk is just being kind of embarrassing, right? Like, the risk can be that small. Um, it's embarrassing to be in love. Like, I don't know if, if that's necessarily how everybody would think about it, but just think about it a little bit. Well, there's um, a TikTok that just went viral. Of It's actually really sad. It's The original one is um, a woman and her partner. Um basically he was had a lot of energy and and he took it as love and they she shook it he hugged it out and shook a bunch like it was just like literally nothing crazy Mm -hmm. and she has so much hate for that she made an apology video where she cried through it what yes because people found it so cringy oh my god was it cringy yeah but were they just expressing their love for each other also yeah right so, yeah, it's something no, I, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite newsletter writers who I've talked about before, uh, Helena Fitzgerald. She also wrote that amazing article about um, Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> um, she writes a lot in her newsletter, uh, Grief Bacon, about love and parties and everything, the entirety of existence being just a little bit embarrassing. And that's something I thought about as I was reading this. Like, it is kind of embarrassing to be in love or even just to love something because it's vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Being in love is being vulnerable you're you're handing your heart to somebody else and just being like hey please please don't hurt me i know sometimes i just think about the things that i tell my husband or like just openly like do and Mm -hmm. i'm like oh man i could never never do that with anyone else Mm -hmm. like i keep sometimes this just blows my mind yeah it it takes it takes so much vulnerability and and risk to to be in love with somebody and to care and but if you don't have that vulnerability if you keep it hidden like I don't want to say how in love are you, but mm-hmm. like how productive is your love? I right. Guess. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is. It, it's Who am I to say? It's embarrassing to be engaged with the world because for some reason we've decided that being interested in things is like cringe, I guess. I, we're supposed to act like we have it all together. Like we understand what's going on, even though basically nobody on this fucking earth has any idea what's going on. Um, we're all messy beings in reality, but we pretend that we aren't. Again, not to shit too much on anybody's worldview, but religion and technology and so on can let us pretend that all of that isn't true, right? Like we can curate a version of ourselves that knows everything, that looks perfect, and present that to the world as if it's actually us. But yeah, I mean, think about like uh, create. Let's say someone's on like uh, creating an Instagram picture mm-hmm. or a video, and we see it on one end. We're like, oh, that's so cool. But imagine watching someone create that. Right. Yeah. It's oh, very cringy. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I see, like, I can appreciate it, you know, an influencer's photo, but I saw some influencers like shooting, a, doing a photo shoot in New York and I was like, hee hee. 
<laughs> you know, like, like I'm not the look kind of silly you look. I'm not like the kind of person who's like disgusting. Well, I was kind of like that in Japan when people were like being well, disruptive at the shrine, but that's different. That's different. But people who like I'm thinking of these influencers who were just like taking photos in Central Park or whatever. They're having a little picnic with flowers and taking photos, and I was just like, you know what? I would love to see those photos, but I'm see- seeing this in real life. I'm kind of like, <laughs> uh, there's a new cast for um housewives of new york and one of them her job is an influencer and she gets made like not made fun of but they're like oh she's gonna make create content i'm like bitch you are not a good person so like so she wants to like take a picture of her food first yeah you also are like using the labor of immigrants for your construction business yeah yeah um I think it is it is human, right? To be messy and weird and awkward. I think those are human characteristics. Like, other creatures on this earth don't fucking worry about it, right? My cat doesn't have the capacity of understanding to feel awkward, right? She just does what she does. She doesn't care if she looks... She's walking around looking like... Like a plucked-ass chicken. <laughs> yeah. She's been through it. Like alopecia cat. Yeah, she just, like... She's not embarrassed in the slightest because she has no idea what it means to be embarrassed, right? She doesn't fucking know. It's human for us to, you know, be messy and weird and awkward. Denying that maybe isn't, like, actively bad, per se, but I also don't think it's good for us, you know, to be like, oh, actually, I never feel any of those things. Like, of course you do, or you're not human. Anyway, relationships. Something we're seeing more of is people building relationships with AI chatbots. There was a big article about Replica fairly recently, and that's just one example. Um, there's an interesting study from Petter Bay Bronzeg, Marita Skuvi, and As- Asbjorn Folstad. I'm so sorry about my pronunciation. Um, that aims to understand how and why people might form relationships with chatbots and whether those relationships are actually healthy. So this is a quote from my AI friend, how users of a social chatbot understand their human... Sorry, I said chatbot, didn't I? <laughs> I meant chatbot. Uh, social chatbot understand their human AI friendship, again, by Petter Bay Bronzeg, Marita Skuvi, and Asbjorn Folstad. Um, friendship is understood to be characterized by voluntariness and reciprocity. It is a chosen relationship between two or more people that is long lasting and mutually satisfactory. According to Hartup, quote, friendships are based on reciprocity and commitment between individuals who see themselves more or less as equals, unquote. A friend is a person one can choose to support and maintain. Friendship may therefore be distinguished from other forms of relationship, such as family relations, which are not necessarily voluntary, and professional relationships, e.g. between a therapist and a patient, which may not be reciprocal. So it's interesting to consider this in connection with Mrs. Davis, where it certainly seems like everybody considers their relationship with the algorithm to be friendly, anywhere from friendly to familial. Like, for the users we see, there doesn't appear to be any distrust between them and Mrs. Davis, likely because her purpose is to satisfy their wants and needs and to make them feel good. You're getting it, getting something they're not getting in real life. For the users that we see, there doesn't appear to be any distrust between them and Mrs. Davis, likely because her purpose is to satisfy their wants and needs and make them feel good. But whether that relationship is reciprocal is harder to understand. Is it possible for Mrs. Davis to receive anything from users other than potentially the satisfaction of having done her job? Can we believe that satisfaction is genuine as opposed to just being programmed into her? Is there any fundamental difference between satisfaction being programmed and satisfaction being genuine, right? 
these are difficult questions to answer. We don't have all of the information that we need. And also, we'll never know what it is to be a robot or an yeah. AI, right? Like, we can't understand whether a robot can really feel satisfaction or not. But it is worth considering when you're like, can you be friends with Mrs. Davis? I mean, I would imagine the people who are using her believe that there's a huge prevalence of people like having full-on romantic relationships. yeah that's i t- yeah. i talked about that a bit but like mrs da- the, i'll get a little more into it mrs davis's impression of being human but slightly more than i think more she's human but slightly more than right yeah, like yeah, yeah. um i think means that people trust her more than if say she didn't speak to them in a human voice like if she talked like this yes i know? agree um if she didn't make jokes etc she wouldn't read as human if she was more robotic, I doubt that their relationships with her would feel so real. But something the show doesn't really touch on that I wonder about is whether the relationships people have with her really do feel real to them. I think so. You think they do? I do. I just, I wonder about this kind of thing. If they're aware that she's an algorithm and not a person, does that impact the relationship that they have with her or the way that they feel about the relationship? Is there a part of them that knows it's the equivalent to believing a barista is your friend? But people believe that. The they do. Is, is the thing. Friend. And also... Uh, do they know how what, how like an algorithm really works? I always wonder about this kind of stuff because I uh, people are really good at lying to themselves, myself Absolutely. included. Yes. So like if somebody thinks a barista is their friend, I'm like, do you really, truly in your heart of hearts believe that? Or do you believe that because it's convenient? You know? Especially when they have like a crush on them. Right. Like I always wonder like how deep is that belief really to you? But or like, is, it a, is it a nice lie? But like think about my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom would 100% believe that. and But I'm sh- like, sure, there are certainly people for who, who will 100% believe it. But when like, we're talking normal about like, people. <laughs> <laughs> when we're talking about a normal. large group of people, yeah. like we're talking about like maybe a majority of the population who's willing to believe something convenient. Do they really, truly believe it? Or do they believe it because it's easier? I think that there's probably a bit of both. And I think that yeah. what really is is coming into play here is an unconsciousness of it. Yeah. Like, do they really believe it? Maybe if they sat down and thought about it, no. But they're but like you said, we're not just good at like believing lies. Our brains are really good at like lying to us and right. like and like making us really believe that. So yeah. uncon like the unconscious belief, absolutely. Yeah. It's- but who's sitting down really and thinking, do I believe this person is my friend? Not not a ton. Right. It's yeah. And like of course the the way the barista is trained is to make you feel as though mm-hmm. like that's part of it too. A barista is trained to make you feel valued because it's good for the company. And like the type of like um stories about workers that is always highlighted is people who have made these connections so they're seeing people see human you know human stories and like oh yeah of course these people are sympathetic of right. course they enjoy their job but like if they enjoy their job they're making it look that way because of capitalism so you'll still go there yeah yeah exactly um is you know is the relationship between a user and Mrs. Davis as satisfying as it would be with a person whose goal is not necessarily to satisfy you. Right. We don't know. Yeah. We don't have the answer to this. Um, These are questions we don't, you know, have the answer to, but because the show allows us to consider a future that may be waiting for us to some extent, it's still worth thinking about. Right. Absolutely. Um, But what I found really interesting about this show is something that I don't hear that much about, which is the harm that can be done under the guise of caring. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I say that, I don't just mean people who tell themselves they're caring and they're really not, right? Like, there are people who do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I also mean how caring can mean tough love or boundaries, right? 
uh, or other things that can feel antithetical to care or to love. What Mrs. Davis does for users is built on the idea of caring, something that is expressed clearly when Joy pitches the app to Buffalo Wild Wings. She talks about indigenous concepts of mutual aid and community care, making it clear that not only is she thinking about sort of ra- like radically reimagining modern society, but she's doing it through what is likely a more intersectional lens than our typical idea of who invents AI, right? Like it's positioning Mrs. Davis fundamentally against something like chat gpt right mm-hmm. like these are radically different entities it's making it more jesus-like yeah jesus wants to serve yeah um this isn't a jetpacks and self-driving cars vision of the future it's more of a communist collective care kind of vision it's right? not the chat gpt version of what it thought mrs davis yeah was about, exactly. which is literally like that yeah and even that you know even that idea of that even if that idea of Mrs. Davis's like communal care future doesn't really work out in the end. But it's important to remember that Mrs. Davis was released as open source without corporate influence. So how did we get from that ideal as originally pitched by joy to where she is in the show, manipulating people for her own purposes for quote unquote, their own good. Well, that's just it, right? Mrs. Davis thinks she is doing good. In a really weird way, Mrs. Davis is almost like Tyler Durden. Mm. Her whole thing with expiration dates reminds me a lot of when yeah. Tyler and the narrator of Fight Club quote-unquote rob the guy at the convenience store because it will make him appreciate his life more, right? Yeah. It's literally putting somebody in a deadly position for no reason other than to make them appreciate their life. Yeah, um, It's not actually helpful right it doesn't actually improve anybody's life but temporarily it feels like it does especially to the person who didn't have anything at risk yeah um sometimes caring for others is unpleasant right i've been struggling with my pet's health over the past month and let me tell you they do not want to be cared for those little fuckers want to die (laughs) they're actively trying yeah they do not want to go to the vet they do not want to take their medication but i have to put them through that unpleasantness if i want them to live yeah cushioning your loved ones from unpleasantness is not necessarily a good thing it like really isn't yeah like not just like your partners but like your children yeah your friends yeah like it's easy. Obviously, I'm using my cats as an example, and cats have no idea what I'm that what I'm doing is for their own good, right? They just know that they get put in a carrier and they hate that. They they know that their food tastes weird and they hate that. I would love it if they did know and they just were like, my <laughs> life would be so much easier if I could explain to my cats, I am trying to save you. I am trying to let you live. In my mind, they know. In my mind, they <laughs> and they're know, just trying and to die, anyways. Yeah. Um. It's it's you know. But we can look at ourselves with this kind of stuff, too. It's easy to take the idea of self-care and to hone in on things like a luxurious bath or buying yourself something you want because you deserve it. And maybe you do deserve it, right? But self-care isn't always pretty. Like, I'm going to talk about myself specifically because when you talk about self-care and you talk about other people, the things that are self-care for me are not the self-care for other people. Other people have different struggles than I do. For me, self-care is definitely not always pretty. Self-care is maybe a luxurious bath, but it's also taking my medication, even when I don't want to. Going to therapy. It's going to therapy. It's forcing myself into uncomfortable situations because I cannot let anxiety rule my life, right? A lot of people are like, hey, if it makes you feel bad, don't do it. I hear you. I hear you. But also, (laughs) that can be paralyzing. I would never leave the fucking house, right? Literally. Like, I was developing agoraphobia earlier this year because of how much my anxiety was ruling my life. 
I had to force myself into uncomfortable positions or I was going to become full-blown agoraphobic. Agoraphobic. Um, it's making sure I eat and that I eat healthy enough to sustain myself, right? Because if I let my anxiety tell me what it's safe for me to eat, I would have to live entirely off of rice, right? Rice is apparently the only safe food in the world to me. I can't live like that, right? I have to. I have to push myself outside. I, rice and some vegetables are okay. Yeah, And that's self-care. That self-care is me saying, okay, I have to learn <laughs> to eat food at a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. I have to learn to do that. I have to be okay with this. And for some people, it's like, hey, I don't need to know how to do that. That's great. You don't have my neuroses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is purely about what self-care looks like for me. And sometimes it's deeply unpleasant and doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, Therapy doesn't feel good a lot. No, no. <laughs> um, for other people, you know, self-care might look like getting out of bed and taking a shower or cleaning the house. These things are not always pleasant and they're certainly not always glamorous. And often you have to take things slowly or step by step. But self-care really isn't just treat yourself, Right. And that's sometimes what people think that care is, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea of treating yourself. Um, and also, that's just a little treat. And also, self care gets co opted by capitalism into just like self care is participating in capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's not. It's self care for me to go to Disney. It can be. <laughs> it can also it. Yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where it can be. It can also not be. <laughs> things are more complicated. I, it, it is very, it's com- I could go on forever. I won't. About Disneyland? No, just about the self-care and the concepts of it. And selfishness? And, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not even just that, but just like, so for me, having a lot of conversation therapy, a lot about like, I, because of the people I'm surrounded by, I suppose I hear the self-care of like, like what exactly what you're saying of like eating and like cleaning and, and like mm-hmm. my, I'm not I'm a messy person and it bothers me, mm-hmm. but I don't. And so long conversation that happened in therapy cannot do here but eventually came out to my therapist being like maybe that's just how you want to live yeah have you ever thought about that and so like self-care can be not insidious but it can be counterproductive i think sometimes in the same way mrs davis seems to shelter the users from the reality of the world right in some cases this isn't a bad thing i'm thinking of my extremely frustrating desire to read every bit of bad news on earth and make it my personal problem right if i had a mrs davis to stop me from doing that i would probably be better off it would have to it would have to have the programming for uh, for it's better for you yeah because if you had the ability to read everything and like all this knowledge at the tip of your ear like you would go insane you specifically yeah you would yeah. go insane they would yeah. have to have that like safeguard of it's i've got a real. guilt i've got a guilt complex you could land a fucking i mean airplane on. you could probably find a reason for yourself why you're like the zodiac killer on accident yeah like, i enabled the zodiac you're killer somehow, somehow you're somehow responsible yeah i wasn't even alive yet but i, I did it you somehow did it yeah uh- <laughs> You heard it. And if you want it so bad, maybe Mrs. Davis would be like, "You are." (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's not good, right? Like just because I have the tendency to read every bit of bad news and make it my personal problem, um, it's not good to bury my head in the sand either, or to give up on things, right? Like Mrs. Davis's urge, likely in this case, would be to protect me and to say, like, "Oh, that makes you feel bad, therefore you won't do it." Mm -hmm. Actually, sometimes it's good for me to feel bad. Like it's it's good for us to know climate change exists, right? Um, it's very depressing. And caring for people should not just be protecting them, right? It should be helping them navigate the world, providing support, and so on, right? 
if I know something bad is happening, me not telling Mary about it is not actually like, okay, if I know an asteroid is going to hit the earth tomorrow and if we move quick enough, we can avoid it. This is a weird example. It doesn't matter. This is is hypothetical. Let's just pretend this is real. Let's just pretend I know that an asteroid is going to hit my house tomorrow and Mary's supposed to be here. And uh, if we leave my house, we're not going to get hit by the asteroid. Me choosing not to tell Mary about that is not protecting her, right? <laughs> I yeah. This is a stupid example, but I I know I see I said saying. it, so I'm sticking to it. Yeah, stick to your guns. But me saying, gun. Mary, let's get in the car and go somewhere else, and we'll get through it together. That's care, yeah. right? Like me just not telling Mary about the problem is not helpful at all. This is a really bad example. But no, I see what you're you saying. You get it. You get yeah, it. Yeah. It doesn't... Whatever. Use your imagination. Use, we've been talking for a long time. Use your imagination. Um, Mrs. Davis's lying to people is unethical, right? It's different than telling a white lie, especially because she is an algorithm, therefore likely incapable of human empathy. Her idea of protecting people and helping them be their best selves or whatever is manipulative. There's multiple angles to this in the show, too. It's not just Mrs. Davis. Everywhere we look, we see the potential toxicity of caring or of the failure to be selfish, selfless or unconditional and caring, right? Mary cares for Jay so much, she won't let him die. Yeah. Right? That's fucked up. You can't be making that decision for people. Celeste fails to adequately care for Simone because she can't put herself aside, right? She can only focus on herself in this interaction. Simone seeks to end Mrs. Davis for vengeance initially, not necessarily because she cares about people. She's like, you killed my dad, therefore I'll kill you. It's not until she understands like the actual harm that Mrs. Davis is doing. She gets over her preoccupation with like, actually, I'm kind of better than other people because I don't use Mrs. Davis. Once she gets over that, understands why people might might use Mrs. Davis. And she also frees herself from like her, um, her relationship with Jay and you know, the divine or whatever. Like when she frees herself from that, she's better able to help other people do the same. At the heart of the show are all these sides of caring twisted in different directions and pulled to wild extremes, which is one of the things I think makes this show feel more interesting and deeper than just none fights AI. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about no. Mrs. Davis? It was really good. It was I extremely it. good. I'm happy with how it ended, which is good because we're not yeah. getting more. Yeah. Most likely. Um, and I, I, we clearly, by how much we talked about this, there's a lot to Oh my to God, talk there's about. nine more pages of the outline it's, that I have to There's just a lot to talk about, I think, especially right now with like AI and the yeah. implications of AI. And when you bring religion into it, you're yeah. just really just, I mean, I loved, I just, I loved equating AI to Jesus. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. I adored it's it. That good shit. It's that good shit. That good shit. I also loved that it was a, the Holy Grail was a fucking skull. Yeah gross nasty nasty um, also schrodinger's cat very good very very good and never ever talked about nope um so that's it for this episode uh if you like this you can find us on our website at fakegirlscast.com um if you like this episode consider our matrix episode our fight club episode our his dark materials episode our twilight episode all of those in some way connect to this one uh thanks to emily june for working on our transcriptions uh consider donating on patreon if you like this episode you too can commission us for just 50 dollars. you can make us watch whatever you want within reason i will reject you if i don't want to watch eight seasons or 13 seasons or whatever the fuck of the vampire diaries ever again (laughs) i won't do it i won't fucking do it um next we're gonna be talking about 
Jaws. Woo-hoo. Now, by the time that episode comes out, it's not going to be summer anymore. And it's not going to be summer. It's not going to be Jaws season. But such is life, okay? <laughs> life happens. Live with it. Um, so, scene. Mary and Missy wrap up the episode. Smiling. That's it for our Mrs. Davis TV show spectacular. We hope you enjoyed this nostalgic trip down memory lane. And remember, no matter how advanced our technology becomes, some things like magic of Mrs. Davis will never go out of style. They sign off and the outro music plays as the recording light switches off. End scene. Mary and Missy exchange happy glances with enthusiasm. Thanks for joining us today, awesome listeners. I thought we turned off the recording light. Thanks for joining us today, awesome listeners. Stay geeky, embrace the classics, and until next next time, this is the Fake Geek Girls Podcast. Enthusiastically. Geek on! They wave to the camera and the podcast episode concludes. Thanks, ChatGPT. (laughs) 